Welcome to Hoopsville, everybody. On a Sunday evening, we are on the air with a Selection Sunday special. I am your host, Dave McHugh. Welcome in to a slightly tweaked Hoopsville Studios. One, there you go. You can, you kind of see the that one there. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll adjust our angles here. Uh, you're going to see the background change a few times because we literally just made some changes um, pre-show after recording a bunch of interviews. So you're going to see an ever-changing studio. Uh, enjoy, I guess. I want to thank our partners at Jersey Genius, part of Chalk Talk Sports, for their help with our jerseys that are hanging. Um, we've got more to hang. We couldn't get them all hung. We couldn't get that other angle working like I had hoped to. Maybe by tomorrow? We'll see. We'll try do our best. But I want to thank especially my wife. I put them together. She then makes them look pretty after I put them together, and then she's helped hang a bunch of them. So there you go, a new look. I wish you could see that one on the side. Maybe I just adjust myself a little bit here. Yeah, it's not too bad. If you got questions for us throughout the night, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, Hoopsville, at D3Sports.com. You can also join us on Facebook, uh, where we're live simulcasting the show, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Um, you can also join us on at YouTube, YouTube.com slash D3Hoopsville, though it looks like it's not uh, going yet. No, it does. It is. It's up and running. There we are. Um, we're up and rolling. Andrew saying, come on. Don't worry, Andrew. We're here. We're rolling. Um, and we'll do our best to answer your questions. Uh, let's give you an idea of how this show is going to work. So here's the basics of it. First and foremost, we're going to hear from the committee chairs to remind us a little bit about the process, answer some questions along the way, and take care of some other business. We will talk to them here momentarily on the show. We also have a number of other guests lined up that we will intermix throughout the show while we're doing our selections. Uh, some of those guests will include, uh, not limited to certainly, um, and i got to change our front page thing, but we'll get that fixed. We're going to hear, obviously, from both committee chairs. We'll hear from Rick Harrison, Clark Summit women's basketball coach, Pat Devaney, New Jersey City women's basketball coach, uh, Tanya England, Wisconsin Eau Claire women's basketball coach, Bill Fenlon, who is retiring as the DePaul men's basketball coach, Brian Lebowski, um, who is the Franklin men's basketball coach, Ryan Kane, the Keene State men's basketball coach, and Jason Zimmerman, Emory's men's basketball coach. We'll intermix those in while we're doing our selections. The women's panel will include myself, Scott Peterson, and Matt Snyder. The men's panel will include myself, Ryan Scott, Bob Quillman, and Matt Snyder. Some others will be heavy lifting behind the scenes as well. So that's kind of all we've got. A Obviously, a lot to talk about. We'll start with the women's selections after we've heard from both committee chairs. We'll do the men's selections later this evening. Um, there's multiple reasons for that, um, but that is how we're going to do it. So, again, if you got questions, we'll do our best to answer them. But actual mock selections, the women will be first, followed by the men. Um, any questions? I'm sure there aren't any at all, right? Um, I'm trying to think what else we had. Uh, obviously, if you haven't been following the... Um, the conference tracker that we had at d3hoops.com, you missed a lot. There was a lot of great things, uh, a lot of amazing games, especially last night. There is a game that just tipped off as we got on the air out in the Skyac. We'll talk to the men's committee chair, really both chairs, about the wackiness of that. Believe it or not, and we'll discuss it more, the rule has nothing to do with the committee. It has to do with your time zone. Yeah, we're not thrilled about that either, but we'll uh, we'll discuss it with them coming up and uh, cross that bridge, as it were, in a bit. 
again, if you got questions for us, you can email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can tweet us at d3hoopsville or hashtag hoopsville. You can join us on um, Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville, and you can join us on Twitter, twitter.com slash hoopsville. Those are the ways you can get a hold of us. We hope you'll take advantage of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a reminder, we've already gotten automatic bids. We've gotten some that absolutely took away uh, at-large bids from some. Franklin winning the HCAC, absolutely incredible that they did so, but that pops a bubble most likely. Um, you've got other places where bubbles have been popped, so we'll be discussing how that all breaks down, how that all shifts, adjusts, who we think is going to be in. We're going to do our mock selections as best as we think they would be done uh, in the eyes of Division Three. Uh, in the eyes of how these committees would do it themselves. So we're not perfect, though we do have a pretty decent track record on these things, and we hope to continue that track record. Um, and I think most years we actually struggle on the women's side more than the men's, um, but it is neither here nor there. Uh, let's see. So again, lots of upsets, some great games. Uh, the men's NESCAC championship game came down to the, went to overtime. And came down to the end. Hail Mary didn't have any chance, but it was fun to watch nonetheless. The women's side, um, outstanding result there. Amherst tried to make a go of it, uh, which was pretty darn impressive, to say the least. Uh, I was pretty impressed that, uh, that um, one, Bates got the lead as much as they were, but that Amherst was trying to, uh, to rally back in that game. Uh, they got there within nine at least, I think, but Bates ended up holding on and winning by nine. Congratulations. Believe it or not, that is just the fourth women's program in NESCAC history to win the NESCAC tournament. Um, and we talked to Bates earlier this season about all of that and their success, obviously, uh, and being pretty impressed with them. That was a fun conversation to have with them. Uh, and congratulations on just getting it done, really, to say the least. Um, it goes without saying it. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty darn impressed. Um, anyway, so lots of bids uh, upsets in women's and men's basketball uh, bids that were stolen away. Harden Simmons in the American Southwest winning Texas Dallas with the upset of Mary Harden Baylor. Um, really, I think it puts an interesting situation. The ASC could have three teams into the tournament, and that would cause all kinds of interesting scenarios when it comes to bracketing. Um. Illinois Wesleyan defeated Milliken. We'll see if that ends up having any effect on anybody anywhere. Obviously, this is women's we're talking about. Some some seeds held firm, and that was certainly helpful to those with the out-large in the women's side of things. But on the men's side of things, uh, it wasn't necessarily the same. By the way, Hope defeated Trine. That's two out of three on the season. Uh, and so Hope avenged their one loss of the season. Gustavus Adolphus defeated Augsburg in the Mayak. Augsburg, you know, trying to, to win that conference just didn't finish strong or as strong as they had hoped um, in that conference. Smith finishing strong. New Jersey City, we talked about the fact that the sixth seed was hosting that and they ended up winning over TCNJ in a great game on the women's side. We'll talk to their head coach coming up. Unfortunately, on the men's side, uh, Stockton got the win over Rowan, but unfortunately it ended with fists flying uh, listen, there can be a lot of blame going around from the video I saw and posted on Twitter. Um, the crowd was absolutely not handled. They were way too close to the Rowan team and things happened. So there's a lot of blame to go around in that one. But back to the women's side of things, uh, not a ton of upsets. 
uh, but there are certainly were their fair share. John Carroll women losing to Baldwin Wallace. That might have an effect on things. Currently, Shenandoah and Randolph-Macon just finished. Shenandoah defeated Randolph-Macon. Not sure if that's going to have an effect on things. So lots to try and figure out. We're not going to have all the answers right this second, um, but we certainly have a lot of them. And we hope that you we we provide you with at least an interesting show nonetheless. Uh, checking email to see if we got any questions answered, and I don't think we do. Um, talking to a gentleman who asked a question that we'll talk to the committee chairs about the NC, the non-conference SOS. So, reply says, this is going to be huge. I think Lightcoming may sneak in as a 6 or 7 in the hidden Region 4. Eh, we'll see about that. I'm not all that positive, but... Hey, stranger things have happened, and I'm not going to say never uh, in this job. We have learned uh, the, the easy and the hard way that you never say never. Uh, so we'll cross that bridge uh, down the road. Um, we're going to take a break. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk to both committee chairs again about um, really the whole process. Get you guys back up to speed on how this all works and understand how it all works so that we can hopefully have a, a full conversation when we get to understanding how it all plays out when we do our mock selections. So we'll take a break. When we come back, men's and women's chairs, Michael Schauer and Meg Wilson will join us to talk about the brackets, bracketing, talk about at-large picks, talk about the process and all of that and answer some of your questions. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the National Association of Basketball Coaches Studios. Thanks to our partners at the WBCA, Jersey Genius, Sports Sense, Blue Frame Technology, and the WBCA, if I didn't mention them already. We'll take a break and be back with more. You're listening to the Hoopsville Selection Sunday Special. More after this. NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division III. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, 
I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbine. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we roll along on this Selection Sunday. Again, a reminder, it's on the lower part of your screen there. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville. Use the hashtag Hoopsville. You can also email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com, or you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville. You can also join us on YouTube, youtube.com slash hoopsville. Lots of ways to interact with us. We hope you'll take advantage of them. We look forward to hearing from you. A reminder, coming up, we will start with the women's selection starting at approximately, well, about 45 minutes from now. Uh, we will do those for an hour and a half, two hours, we think. We'll intermix some interviews into that as well. We'll then switch to the men's side of things. The men's will take place starting between 7.30 and 8 o'clock Eastern time, and we'll go through them as well. Lots to cover. We'll get to the trackers in a bit, too, and talk about all the upsets and stuff, but it's really important to talk to the committee chairs because the committee chairs have certainly had a lot of information that has helped us over the years over this season as well. And we talked to both Mike Shower and Meg Wilson, who are obviously very busy right now. But we did talk to them about the process. We talked about what to expect. Uh, we talked about a whole host of other things, including the bracketing process. We talked this morning, and they were kind enough to join us to talk about all of it. So joining us now are the two chairs as we talked to them, one of them before they talked to Rax and one of them right after. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is Mike Shower of Wheaton, and it is Megan Wilson of Luther. We should point out, uh, neither of them decided to dress up for today's occasion, but that's okay. Either did I. Um, Mike, you're in Indianapolis, if if uh, I have that right. Megan, you decided to stay home. Yep, had eighth grade basketball yesterday, so. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Mike, You were you going to be in Indy uh, no matter how the CCIW tournament turned out? Yeah, eventually. So had we played Saturday, I just would have gotten here, you know, in the early a.m. hours this morning um, and sort of, you know, done the rest of the process, you know, in or around a hotel in Bloomington until our game last night. But I would have eventually ended up here for today. Yes. Gotcha. I am sorry about the outcome, but it is a CCIW, right? At some point when you tip that ball up, forget anything. Anything's possible. Well, Elmhurst is pretty good, so uh, true. I, I mean, they're pretty good. They, and obviously, the game they played yesterday speak to that. That's uh, they were the best team this weekend by by quite a bit. So, congratulations to them. Yeah, and there's also a coach named Todd Raritan who seems to get everybody <laughs> at the wrong time. <laughs> well, I, tell, I tell Todd all the time, I'm willing to pay for his retirement party. I will pay for every last time of it whenever he's ready to be done. I think he's the best X's and O's coach. Mark Edwards would be the other one from WashU that I've ever competed against. He's just a phenomenal coach. Yeah, no, you're right. I was going to say, you got rid of Gray. Now you just got to get rid of Raritan. Um, And obviously joking, it's it's a very fun story to see. Um, Megan, of course, you guys have, well, both you guys kind of had some wild factors. On the men's side, we got Franklin winning an AQ. Uh, on the women's side, you had the sixth seed in the NJAC winning. Obviously, this is what we have for fun, but it, it adds a little more intrigue for all of you because as a result, more teams end up on the board, Megan, and to some degree, that might make it easier for the early rounds, but it doesn't necessarily make it easier at the end. No, and I'm not sure that anything could have happened this week that makes it easy in the end. But yeah, those those situations uh, obviously present some challenges when we get down to it. And um, we'll have a few hiccups. And obviously with, you know, once we get to bracketing with the men's priority hosting, we'll have some of that fun yet today. But we'll work through it and 
do the best we can getting the best teams to the table. Yeah, Mike, make sure you guys communicate who you got hosting. We've, we've had this in reverse before. Uh, how will we've that process? We've already done that. Mike is yeah, we've been texting back and team. forth pretty consistently going, hey, heads up, if this happens, this is going to be a host we might share. So we've been doing that back and forth already awesome. this week. Yeah, I was about to ask, how would the process be? But obviously, clearly, you guys are just well in the communication. And obviously, the top 16 came out, already forewarned everybody. A situation like Christopher Newport, the women, you know, the women were going to have to maybe hit the road, and and we're making some assumptions based on some solid information that Christopher Newport women are going to have to hit the road the first weekend, and really, if Christopher Newport men continue on, they're going to hit the road the second weekend. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, Mike, curious from your perspective, and Megan, we'll get yours as well. We talk a lot about who can and cannot be on a call this time of year because of either uh, their team is. Uh, being discussed for an at-large or whatnot. I want to start with the at-large side of it. Interesting enough, this year you're going to have a few guys, including yourself, uh, who who will have to step away. Can you can you talk about the procedures and exactly who will step in to assist? Yeah. So the if your team is quote unquote on the board, um, obviously that coach or administrator, whoever it is, is not allowed to be a part of that conversation. So real um, quick, even an administrator, I, I was always in the impression it was just a coach. So even if you're an administrator from that school, you're out as well. Yeah. If, okay. If you're good to know. Representative of that institution and are on the national committee, you step off the call. Got it. Uh, and so somebody else from the rack is brought to the call. Um, and, uh, in our case, he will, will simply sort of articulate the case, um, for Wheaton, uh, and, and you know, until or unless they, they get in, and then that committee member can come back onto the call and sort of go from there. So pretty is simple it, process. Is it somebody who represents, for, let me give you an example, would it be the CCIW representative on the rack to replace you, or is it anybody on the rack? It does not matter necessarily. You'll make that yeah, decision. It can be anybody on the rack. Obviously, the complicated part about the CCIW uh, rep is – it's Elmhurst, it's John Baines, his team is in it. It, it, it. it complicates it a little bit to have it be, to have it be him. Um, so it'll be somebody, it, and it, it, you know, Pat from WashU is also on our rack. It won't be him because his team's also being considered. So um, it will be one, one of those other committee members. I was going to ask this to Megan, but because you just added a couple more wrinkles to it, that is a good point. How do you designate that person? I guess not how, but I should say, when is that person designated and have they had any experience kind of being in that role on the national committee or trying to be in that role, considering, as you just pointed out, you have a couple of wrinkles here. Yeah, so for us, it's it's similar, a little different. We'll determine after we finish uh, the final rankings today, uh, teams that will be in consideration. So we'll kind of look at how deep some teams are in the regional rankings. And we're actually going to try to bring that uh, replacement for, we have a few, um, that will probably be towards the top of their regions and we're going to bring them on for the, for the, the start of the call. Um, and just so they're not only coming in for that and they kind of have heard some of the other teams and the comparisons that have been made for them or the, um, you know, the arguments that have been made. So, um, it, it does present some wrinkles. They don't have, you know, they haven't likely been on a national call or in this process before, um, but we we did make a minor adjustment, just going to bring them on at the beginning, kind of have a mute and just kind of listen. Um, so they're not just coming in at that moment and arguing for that one team or defending their resume. 
Yeah, that's a good. Dave, we will probably do something similar given uh, who the teams are we're talking about. So, that's, yeah, it makes that's, sense. Um, yeah. I appreciate that. The, the interesting quirk there is that they haven't been in other previous conversations, so they do come in a little bit cold. But I guess to some degree that's unavoidable because otherwise you'd have all have to have all the racks involved in all the calls to some degree, right? It is. And I think, you know, Mike talked earlier in one of our conversations about just the integrity of it. So we have nine national committee members. It's not like we don't understand the resume. His committee doesn't understand the resume of Wheaton when when they're on the table and he has a step off the call. So this whole process has to be done with integrity. And it's not about vying for your region. It's about getting the best teams and the most deserving teams in at that point. Fast forward to bracketing. This is where I've gotten a little bit more confused as much as I thought I understood how this was working. In the same scenario, Mike, you be an example, your team gets in. This is I'm going to say it how I've understood it. Please correct then from there because it might be easier. I could be wrong on this. But I've understood it on the women's side. Anybody who's who's had a team in has been punted from the bracketing so they don't even see who they might see next on the on the rounds even though many have told me they could care less they want to go to sleep they're not going to start early scouting or anything on the men's side you've stayed involved you may not bracket your side you may not do but you might do some other job that is helpful to that committee so you're still somewhat involved but maybe not hyper involved has any of that changed is any of that accurate and mike we can i don't i guess we can start with you whoever thinks they can start with that yeah, so, it, you know, in 2019, when my team was involved and got in, I was not involved as a national committee member at all in the bracketing. I stayed completely out of that conversation. I didn't know who we were playing or where we were going. I got it a little bit ahead of time because of the, when right before we released it, the national committee reviewed it. But before that, I had no involvement. It uh, And we will try to walk a similar line this year. The difficult thing, of course, is the responsibility of bracketing uh, – you know, kind of falls to the chair. So to have me completely eliminated from the process is cumbersome, but I certainly will not be involved in, in any way, shape or form with, with Wheaton's involvement. That right. I'll stay out of that. So if I were a national committee member and not the chair, I wouldn't be involved at all. Uh, but it's complicated a little bit because that's a responsibility that, that falls indirectly to the chair to oversee and uh, the hosting and some of those things. So to say I will be completely hands-off, I'm not sure I can say that with integrity, but I won't be involved with anything that that could involve my my own program. Megan, I know Luther's not necessarily involved, so we don't worry about you coming off the call. Um, and that's no shot at Luther. It's just, it, it, to some degree, that's helpful. But is yeah. it the same process? Very similar. And I think like the men's committee, we've done a lot of pre-work. So we we use our national committee as much as possible going into today um, and kind of identifying potential hosts. And we've identified w- which teams we've sent to certain hosts previously to try to avoid that first round conference matchups. So very similarly to Mike, um, anybody on my committee that is involved in the tournament will uh, be removed from the call at that time. There's at least one other committee member at the time that I know of that will be joining me. Um, but we will also, they won't see it much ahead of time, but we will also do a, a double take or a look at it tomorrow morning before it's released um, and before we have to turn it over to the NCAA for the, selection, or for the selection show and just make sure we haven't 
accidentally put a first round conference matchup or a team that's seen each other already this year if possible. So we will have everybody's eyes on it before it's released. But let me play devil's advocate. I've done this a lot of times, but I like hearing other perspectives on this. I understand the concern that a coach could get a a heads up and, and maybe start scouting 12 hours in advance of another team for, for that matchup though. I can't, can't tell you, excuse me, how many coaches I've talked to who said, forget it. Uh, I am not in that going to be in that position. I'm not going to even want to do that considering how much time I put in the committee. I want to go sleep. But on top of that, they point out the integrity is there. If you find someone's doing that, you punt them, you punish them, you do whatever you need to do. I feel like, Megan, you talk about it. You might have one other person jokingly on it. We had a time when the women's committee had two people on it. They were two of the younger individuals who had to do all the bracketing. And for the most part, did a good job. But we had some quirks where clearly a more experienced committee would have done maybe or made better decisions or whatever you want to call it. It would have made decisions that would have helped that bracket a little bit more. How much are we hamstringing the fairness of the bracket? by removing so many people from the committee and leaving it in the hands of so few people. Yeah, I think potentially we're doing that. Um, We're also doing a lot more pre-work on our side because of situations like that. And I think you say that coaches say they won't look ahead, they won't start scouting, but it only takes a few, right? Like to ruin it for everyone else. And so then we're getting complaints that Mike was on the bracketing call as a national committee member and he put Wheaton at an unfair advantage and now they go to the final four and it has nothing to do with how good his team is, but instead it's because he got an early look. So um, I see your point. I think um, our national, our reps from the NCAA have put numerous brackets together. So it's not like we're doing this solo as national committee members. Um, And I was joking about having one that was kind of a funny looking ahead at my long day, but I, I see your point. I think uh, the women's committee has definitely done a lot more work to make that burden a little bit less today. Mike, your perspective on that? Yeah, I actually, so uh, I'm going to give an opinion here. This won't happen today, but I, I think removing it, and it sounds self-serving because I'm, it's going to involve my team, but I think sometimes removing the committee member during the conversation about at-large bids actually makes the process a little more cumbersome because you bring in somebody who is unfamiliar with the discussion and have them join a conversation they haven't been a part of. If done well, the other nine committee members hold the one committee member accountable. One committee member can't really drive the ship very far. That's why there's 10 of them, but that's an aside. But I actually think the bracketing one becomes a bit more uh, nuanced because it's not necessarily getting the, the look ahead, Dave, that would cause me pause is if a committee member had the ability to kind of go, I might be a better matchup here <laughs> and would rather oh, have sure. this. And so we've got to almost eliminate them as much from that process as we can. The one caveat being that the chair, I've got to be involved a little bit because right. it, it, so it's, it's impossible to remove me completely. No, I don't disagree with that aspect at all. And and from past years, and maybe we misunderstood it, but from past years, what I got told was, yes, they're involved, but A, they're not dealing with that side of the bracket. They're focused, hyper-focused on their own side, so they don't even know what's going on with their team because basically got parsed out into groups to do different sections. The other side of it says, well, you know, he worked on mileage or he worked on logistics for hosting or he worked on this so that he wasn't involved with bracketing. We would just say, hey, I'm going to use a random name, George. Uh, Probably bad. I'm not referring to George Barber. But George, um, 
we want to go here. Is that going to be feasible? Well, here's what our host ch- uh, information is. Again, they're doing some work, but they're not heavily involved. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We certainly don't want them putting their foot accidentally or purposely on the pedal. But at the same time, it feels like you can at least get some work out of them. No question. I, I agree completely. It, it's I can be involved uh, to, a, to a degree with, without influencing Wheaton's path right. if we were to get in. Don't want to beat that into the into the ground too much, but I appreciate the, at least the insight on it. I feel bad, Megan, if you're down to yourself and maybe one other. I get I there's joking. I know, but it's happened. We've seen two people on the committee left to do a bracket, uh, including the national chair being removed, per se. Um, and I just I, I know how challenging it is. As much prep work as you could do, you still got to now do it. And speaking of which, interesting twist this year: six hundred miles is now the the radius that you get to work with in terms of hosting. I know you've already started to do some of the work, Mike. How much have you already seen that become an interesting play out factor, however you want to call it, to, to, to how you might position teams that you would never have considered in the past? Yeah, there's some, there's no question. There's, there's some, and it makes, it makes you ask the question, uh, you know, you bring up a, a host and go, "Hey, I wonder if so and so can get there." And if it, it, you kind of ch- you're checking more of those numbers now. So there could be a couple that um, that are interesting and new, um, but probably, I mean, 500 miles is still a pretty substantial distance as well. So a, sure. a lot of them, we're gonna, you know, I don't know that we want to get somebody going 594 miles. That's a long way. Um, if we can find a, a one that's closer, but. Um, it, it does bring in a few more options and a few more questions about possible uh, matchups and, and locations that you know we didn't we didn't have before. But it's it's not a significant number, but it is some. Megan, you've got an interesting scenario we see coming, where you could have a lot of teams in Texas come off the board and end up in a bracket. Uh, conceivably, I think I saw four teams i'm doing this a little off the top of my head i know it's four i i don't want to say there's five but i'm pretty sure there's four uh you've got to <laughs> i know you don't want them all necessarily in the same pod is that a scenario that you guys have already started to discuss and to try and figure out from a from a bracketing perspective yeah we have and that that's tough and poses issues every year i feel like the texas teams get stuck in the same pod every year because of distance and mileage and um you know i'm not sure that we have a whole lot of options without uh you know 600 miles maybe it gives us an opportunity i'm not sure that this year it really does with some of the other teams that are have secured aqs um but yeah you know it's unfortunate for those teams because they see the same teams throughout the year they play each other, whether it be in their conference or non-conference games, and then we get to the tournament. I feel like that that pool of Texas teams and then, you know, some of those teams out in California or on the West Coast, you know, find themselves in similar situations. You know, some teams out there probably deserving to host, but the likelihood of the NCAA flying three teams out um, to say Whitman, women's basketball, for an example, is probably just not very likely. But to that token, you do have that first round rule in place, as I understand it. I think we clarified earlier this year that says conference mates not playing in the first round. So in some way, that would maybe force the hand a little bit. Let's say three teams out of the same conference, one of them is going to have to then get sent somewhere. 
For sure. Yep. That'll be something that we'll have to work through. And, you know, that will likely be, you know, I, I, we end up with a few flights every year, probably three, four, maybe. And so that will be likely one of the instances where we have to do that if we can't find another host site within 600 miles. Do you have a preference? You may not know the answer to this on whether that's, and preferably probably not the top of those three in terms of regionally ranked the middle one of those three or the bottom one of those three that you would send out the door. Yeah, that's hard to say. I think it depends. Um, Texas is already one of those situations where we may be looking at a men's and women's host, um, you know, priority issue. And so it, it will kind Ooh. of come down to that um, yeah, good point. and looking through all the options. So I, I can't say for certain it wouldn't be the top. I would I would like, you know, you'd think the top would be your host, obviously. And then, um, you know, getting on a flight that that creates some travel issues, but then you also have to weigh, do you want, you know, if those other two teams left at the top two are in the same conference, do you want them to see each other in round two? So yeah, all I, things have to be weighed out. We were talking about Christopher Newport. I totally forgot to look into Texas. There's an obvious one there uh, and Mary Harden Baylor that could be coming up and rearing its its head a little bit here. And, and it, it could be others too. Mike, um, have you guys looked at scenarios like that that are going to force your hand to some degree? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, you certainly start to, you know, just kind of rank your hosts, if that makes sense, and try to kind of figure out, um, you know, who who deserves it and what scenarios does does that bring up. Um, you know, when I say this, obviously the fact that we we don't in the first two rounds have to quote unquote worry about losing a host um, because it's the men's priority makes it a little bit easier. It's 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 Megan and the women this year that kind of have to potentially pivot when some of those issues come up. So um, I think ours is progressing fairly normally, if that makes sense. It's, it's probably the, the similar rhythm that other years have been. Um, but yeah, it gives us a little bit of, a, of an easier path because we don't, you know, when the question comes up, we're, we're the, the men are the priority host um, in the first round. Let's back things up to the selection process because obviously we can't get to brackets until you filled the tournament. Um, obviously, we know what the primary criteria is. It's win-loss percentage. It's strength of schedule. It is head-to-head -head and comparable opponents. Um, and I did forget the fifth. Results um, versus ranks. Oh, of course. There's <laughs> my favorite, VRRO, as I call it. Uh, results versus regionally ranked opponents. First, you guys have said often – uh, that having extra ranked opponents was going to come problematic. We're starting to see some lofty numbers when it comes to results versus regionally ranked. Uh, and you certainly will see them more on your end before we do on the final rankings. Mike, you, you've emphasized a little bit of understanding the wins on that um, versus the losses in that category. But how uh, diluted is that number becoming? Yeah, it kind of depends. I mean, I think we've got some teams now that are up up around 12 uh, regionally ranked wins. Um, now, these are obviously elite teams, but they, they do have them. Um, and what, what really we're, we're having to dive into, Dave, is uh, most teams have multiple regionally ranked wins now. Uh, and so you've got to kind of determine how good are each of those wins and where do they kind of fall in the, in the pecking order of a regionally ranked win because the number is just becoming um, – much, much larger than previous years where, uh, you know, three regionally ranked wins once upon a time was a pretty strong number. Now those better be three really good regionally ranked wins. Otherwise, it's going to be below the bar of what most of our at-large bid teams are going to have when they come to the table to be discussed. So 
yeah, I mean, I've said this publicly. I, I'll say it again. I, we're ranking too many teams, and it has diluted the value of a regionally ranked win, and it's diluted the value of being regionally ranked. And it's made a very cumbersome process as a result because we're comparing teams now that have some really high high numbers in those areas, and we're having to sort of determine what those mean. What do those regionally ranked wins actually mean? And uh, that's that's probably we've spent a lot of time on that conversation. Megan, what, what about your perspective on that? Yeah, I think we're very similar. It's just about diving into those ranked wins and, you know, who are they against? Are they against number ones? Are they against number nines? I think looking at the region is important as well. And so that's something that will come into play today, especially when we're getting to those at-large bids and, you know, is a number five in one region different than a number five in another region. And again, that's a lot of subjectivity, but it's looking at that, that team's resume as well. So it's causing us to dive a little deeper than we've had to in the past. I know we talked a few times about how COVID could impact numbers and what wiggle room or conversations you're having regarding the criteria. You know, for example, Williams, and it's not true now, but at one point was 16 and three on the season um, a week or so ago, had not played a chunk of games. Obviously it's a win-loss percentage, but the lack of games being played has allowed that number to be a little bit more floaty is the term I would use in the sense that if they had played six more games, they may not have the same win-loss percentage. On top of that, something I've noticed is that there could be teams who didn't play a bunch of conference games who now have a higher SOS than they normally would because that SOS didn't naturally drag towards 500 like a conference in a double round robin would naturally have and then on top of that they've got a really boosted you know results versus regionally ranked how concerned are you you're going to be looking at resumes and i can think of a team now based on other people's numbers of a 609 sos but they didn't play a handful of games in their conference and they but they also have a, a vaulted results versus regionally ranked but their win loss isn't great how hard is it to gauge these numbers when they've been impacted in a way we've never seen them impacted? Can we to take that one, Megan? You can start if you yeah, want. So, uh, so the, it feels like a very complex question, and I'm going to give you a very simplistic answer, which is as long as they meet the, the standards, the criteria expects, we are going to treat them like anybody else. So... Um, even though somebody has played uh, less games than they would traditionally have played, if they still meet the minimum requirements, we're going to treat the winning percentage and the regionally ranked results and the SOS as we would anybody else. So it really hasn't been a very cumbersome conversation. Several weeks ago, Dave, I was probably pretty worried about it, but I think it's kind of played itself out pretty, pretty cleanly, if I'm really honest with you. So as the committee chair, my answer to our committee was, we're going to treat them as we would anybody else if they meet the criteria standards and the teams we've discussed do. And that's kind of the end of it for us. So it's a simplistic answer to what feels like a complicated question. Now, going forward, if it, if it continues outside of what sort of feels like this COVID season, then I think as coaches, we've got to have a response. Um, teams need to play games, but this has been a unique stretch of two years, so it's tough to be critical of it. Um, and we're just going to treat them as normal. Yeah, I'll come back to that. That's a little bit more of a low SOS number. I want to talk about a, a bolster one, but we'll come back to that. Megan, are you guys seeing any scenarios? Are you having conversations about numbers that just seem a little skewed because COVID has impacted those those details and thus? I think you know, early not... on, 
early on we did, and it was just yeah. important for us to remind the RAC committees and the national committee members that, you know, it is win-loss percentage. These are things that are unprecedented. You know, I, I think it does cause a lot of those wrinkles that you've identified, um, but, but there's just nothing we can, you know, really do about that. So we have to take it as it is. And, you know, we can't, we can't determine that brings a lot of subjectivity into it. If we start talking about, well, there was a COVID shutdown or, you know, there's teams I feel like this year, and this is my opinion that have more um, sub 500 losses. And, and some of that could be from coming off of a, a week of a shutdown in one practice and they're forced to play a game. And, you know, so there's a lot of things that have been affected by COVID and the pandemic that, you know, just, we really can't talk about. We just have to look at the numbers and the resume and, go from there. I totally can appreciate that. And it's valid points for sure. I don't want to dismiss that. The one, and there's probably those who are listening to us know the team I'm probably referring to, because it was a bit of a Twitter conversation last night. Um, but I, I, I don't want to name them because there could be others. So I don't want to be too specific. Their SOS is significantly higher than maybe we would expect to see it. A, we know it's higher than it would be if they had played their entire conference schedule. B, it's lofty, more lofty than the, than probably the A they intended and B it would ever expect to be. Like the number just stands out. And I'm and my only thought is you're going to sit there in a large scenario going, wow, look at this SOS. They really scheduled pretty well. They really did well without understanding or looking into the fact that there are three games, I'm, I'm making up numbers at this point, three or four games they didn't play in their conference that would have dragged that SOS south by a significant margin because they they didn't play the double round robin they're not getting that that x out for example and so you're having a conversation straight on the numbers on a team whose sos is being boosted because they didn't play games if that makes any sense and that's where i see sense. you I might get in a bind of selecting somebody because their resume looks great when in reality the resume doesn't look great covid made it look good yeah, we recognize that. I think Megan and I will probably stand by our answers. There's nothing the criteria allows us to do with that. We have to view them and rank them as the, is presented to us. I get that. I, I so, just, yeah, I, I just don't know if that also means, and again, nothing takes a priority. You know, there, you don't say win loss is number one, SOS is number two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you can then have the conversation of going, okay, yeah, the SOS number looks really good, but we're going to put that to the side and look at the other criteria. Well, an SOS is just one criteria, right? Like, so that maybe. <laughs> I kind of teed that up. Yeah. Like you think it's number one. No, 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 no. I know many times where I, uh, the argument is definitely not the SOS. I'm just worried it, it makes it seem like a bigger resume than it really is, is, is kind of what I'm getting at. It definitely does. But. Lucky for them, I guess. Well, I know that'll be an interesting turn of turn of play. We'll see. the 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 other side of that coin is that their win loss percentage is below a threshold, and that brings me to my next question. And I know that we never get the answer, but I ask it anyway. For a long time, we thought the the win loss percentage kind of line of demarcation was seven hundred. If you were below seven hundred, the committee basically said you just did not win enough games to warrant being in this conversation. Yeah, your SOS looks great. Yeah, your, vers your results versus looks good, et cetera, et cetera. But you just didn't win enough games. We had an outlier a few years ago on the men's side in Oshkosh. Women, I think we've had an outlier occasionally, but it, it's been rarer. So, Mike, I'll start with you. Um, we we kind of now think the line might be 667. Do you have a line in mind? 
Do you have a threshold that just says enough? We we just can't justify you didn't win enough? Yeah, not as directly as that question would imply that we have set a numeric value to any of that, any more than we would on the SOS side. There is sort of a, I don't know how to say this, kind of a feel when you start moving in one of those directions where the, the losses are piling up and the winning percentage continues to go down, that you start to get a little bit uncomfortable with with a resume that that does that, but there is no minimum to it. We don't we don't talk in those terms, and what has uh, exasperated that conversation is a lot of those teams now have a pretty impressive number of regionally ranked wins, and and that is uh, making that conversation more difficult because uh, you know how valuable are each of those categories. So there's no question. Dave, there are more teams in the conversation with lower winning percentages than my previous two years of putting together uh, pool C's because there are more regionally ranked wins available than there have been in the past. And that has made the conversation more difficult um, going forward. And, and I don't know if I mentioned, I think we're ranking too many teams. So I that's think part of the that's part of the issue is we're ending up with regionally ranked win numbers that are that are massive by comparison to where we've been before. Uh, by tonight, I'm going to take one of my signs and put up, we're ranking too many teams. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll see if that pops up uh, on, on the background here. Uh, Mike, real quick, before I have Megan answer that question, though, to that point, you, you said they're racking up a lot of wins. Again, you've also said, though, if I'm correct, it's got to be where are they ranking up those wins? If those wins are all at the bottom of the regional rankings, it doesn't mean much versus, let's say they beat one, two, and three. No question. And... uh we are absolutely taking a look at the best regionally ranked wins teams have and comparing those when it gets to be close in, in that category and other areas. So yeah, I mean, um, the, the numeric number is not necessarily the tipping point. At the same time though, Dave, there gets to be, just like there kind of gets to be a winning percentage that's too low, there gets to be a regionally ranked win number that gets to be high enough that kind of makes you go, yeah, hey, we probably got to look at that. So. I think what this has created is a tension that didn't exist to the same degree it does now, where you have more teams now with a slightly lower winning percentage, but because of the leagues that they're in and the number of those teams that are getting ranked have a much higher number of regionally ranked wins. And if I'm honest, Dave, that's a new conversation that we didn't have nearly to the degree two years ago that we're having now. So that's one of the outcomes of the 10 regions and the 83 teams is we're creating that conversation that is taking place with more, you know, more regularity than we certainly did two years ago. To that point, though, you, let's take the number 12 you used. If a team has six wins and six losses, at some point, those losses have to be weighing into the conversation too, right? Correct. So it's not just that you reward them for playing those 12 games. You're looking at the losses and going, great, you played 12, but you didn't win half. You, you, you only won half. Or you, you lost all the top dogs, but you lost all the bottom. Or vice versa. Hey, you won all the top ones, but wait, you lost all the bottom ones. Correct. We are diving, and I think Megan said this earlier, we are diving into those regionally ranked wins more than ever because the gap between good regionally ranked wins and a mediocre to bad regionally ranked win relative to the teams we're ranking now is massive. It's really massive. There's a huge difference between the third best regionally ranked team that we're ranking and the, the 81st region, best regional right there. That is a massive difference in the caliber of those teams. Megan, to back it up a little bit, again, to what I started with Mike about was you know, the resumes that you're looking at, those win-loss percentages, is there a line in the sand of we, have, we, we just can't consider you anymore? You just did not win enough. 
I think that's, I wish there was a line in the sand. Um, I think we talk about all that all the time. If there were more lines in the sand, they wouldn't need us. The computer would figure this out. Um, I would, I will say, I think the women's committee has a much more difficult time ranking teams with a significant number of losses and a low win loss percentage um, because it's great to play a strong strength of schedule. Um, but you, at some point you got to win those games. Right. And then you, because we're ranking so many more, you have inflated ranked teams. So it used to be lower win-loss, high SOS, but the ranked wins uh, gave us more valuable information, I feel like, where now we have to dig into it so much. I mean, we got to the point last week where we were almost ranking a team that would have been a sub-500 loss for some, you know, and, and that's just, like, crazy. But that goes to Mike's point that for tomorrow's call, we should have shirts on that say we're ranking too many teams. I mean, we just are. Um, it, it, it makes this a lot more difficult because it used to be, right, the bookends that Mike's talked about before, win-loss percentage and then SOS. You know, you might have a really high SOS and have a slightly lower win-loss percentage because of that. But then you had results versus common and you had head-to-head -head potentially in some cases. And the ranked wins were 3-4 and we could evaluate that a lot better. But now it seems like you have a low win-loss percentage in both, in a lot of instances, ranked wins and SOS are slightly very high. So then you're looking at it, well, they're really high in both of these categories now. So does that mean they're worthy of ranking or does that mean our data is inflated? You know, so it's a lot more subjectivity than I feel like it's been in the past. It's made it very, very difficult this year and long conversations because you have different opinions on what matters more. Quick aside, and then I'm gonna to get to some questions we got um, from others outside. Have you already had conversations with other sports, for example, fall, who've already gone through it, spring, who will go through it, about the fact that there's too many and we need to get this changed by next academic year? I think there's been a lot of conversations both with us and other committees and as well at, at the NCAA office. They've heard it from the fall sports that were ranking too many, and we, we need to have those conversations in our annual meetings this spring and summer. It needs to change. Who who decided? Do you? I mean, you might not know the answer to this. Was that twenty percent decided when we created the new regions, or was that twenty percent decided by stats? Who we've known has come up with some ideas that just never matriculated down the road. It was partnered with the move to ten new regions. Okay. We, we had some discussions of what percentage to rank, and 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 ultimately landed on twenty percent. I'll have to talk to some people. They asked for committee's feedback as well, and I think we weighed in, and ours was lower. I want to say we were around 15 to 18%, somewhere in there, but they went with 20. Hmm. You would think the bigger sports would have a better understanding of how many need to be percent, but you know, the, a, a, a range of percentage isn't a bad idea either. We had that up until now. We had 15 to 20 or 21% and then locked in. A couple of questions that we got in. Um, one of them was, how important is the non-conference SOS, even though secondary criteria when determining the difference between, let's say, the last four or five teams on the bubble with comparable resumes? Mike, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, if, if, uh, if resumes on the, on the first page, to use the term we use, are so close that we don't feel like we can make a determination, a decision, in, in reality, that non-conference SOS often becomes the the tie-breaking vote when we go to secondary. Now, if that's really close as well, we may go back to it. So it is 
it is not significant. It is a secondary criteria, but when it comes into play, it usually comes into play pretty definitively would be my answer to that. Megan. We're the same way, you know, okay. that's when we're splitting hairs and, you know, we can't decide it based on the, the primary and digging into the primary with ranked wins and, and common opponents and head to head. I know we kind of talked about this, but just because it's been brought up, you know, we'll raise it again in case anybody didn't pay attention to a previous interview. Are you concerned by that non-conference SOS based on the fact that no one really seems to understand anymore what it does or does not actually measure? I'm not sure that we're concerned about it at this point because whether or not we understand what it measures, it's measured the same way for all the teams we're comparing. And so, you know, it, it is a secondary criteria and it's what we look at and it's applied the same to all the teams that we're talking about in those situations. Same answer. Yeah, I had a feeling. I I, I didn't, I wasn't really expecting any uh, different soliloquy necessarily on that. Um, the other question I got was, and, and I know we talked about this offline, but we'll get it uh, maybe a little bit more officially here. Uh, will men's and women's start times be staggered across uh, this year, uh, especially across the 16 sites like we did in men's side in 2020? Uh, and there's a follow-up to that we'll get in a moment. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Are you guys going to have staggered times this year? We are. Yep. We, we thought that was pretty well received. I, I know sitting, I was the site rep at that year at North Central, and it was fun to be sitting at North Central, uh, watching games taking place at other parts of the country, and I could follow it. I, I really enjoyed it. It was well-received, and we, we plan to continue it, yes. Megan, I know it's a little more complicated in an answer. Yeah, ours will be somewhat staggered. Uh, we won't start any uh, games too early. Uh, we didn't feel like you know that was helpful for viewing opportunities, and so they'll be staggered somewhat, but that'll most likely be based on who's hosting. Um, more than anything. Well, and that gets us to my follow-up. Who chooses the start times? The host, the committees, joint effort. Megan, I'll start with you. Uh, the host in conjunction with myself and Kelly from the NCAA will have host calls and, and we'll determine those. There is, and I don't know off the top of my head right now, but there is, you can't start earlier than such and such a time and later than such and such a time, but those things come into play as well. Mike, considering you're trying to go for stagger, I'm assuming that answer is a little different. Yeah, it's slightly different, although similar. We asked in the, in, the, in the bid process if they are willing to start games at certain times, and if they answered that yes, there's a chance that we ask them to start games at, at an earlier time than, than is what has Got traditionally it. over the years taken place. So um, it, it is, it's still a joint conversation, but if, if they said, hey, we can start a game as early as this, there's a chance we're going to ask them to do so. Uh, and quickly, before I let you go, because I know you got to get elsewhere, and so do we. Um, we obviously have religious um, ramifications, uh, Mike, on your side. The possibility, I'm not, because when we're talking, we don't know for sure if they've won the AQ or uh, if they'll be in at-large. Uh, Yeshiva obviously adds a wrinkle to you, but you also have some schools, similar to Wheaton, uh, that will have some restrictions. God forbid that you put Yeshiva with a school like that, and we got an issue on a Sunday. But uh, how do you guys going to work through those things? As, as simply as you just stated it, we, we're aware of those uh, um, requests and limitations, honor them, respect them, and, and we're going to work through them. And, it, it, you know, I don't think it's going to be a very, very difficult issue, if I'm really honest. So we'll uh, be... I got to follow up on that. But Megan, real quick on your end, are you guys foreseeing any issues? Not right now. Okay. Mike, to follow that up, per Yeshiva, do you consider where you're sending them 
Uh, I know the Yeshiva fans would probably like, and I was talking to one in particular who said, well, you know, why would they send them to this place? There's not much of a Jewish represent, you know, representation there. I said, listen, a couple of years ago, the guy who was running things knew going to Baltimore was a genius idea. Doesn't mean every committee member understands that. But the f- one question I did have was, how much do you understand there may be um, services in place at that institution or nearby that can help with particular meals and stuff that need to be served for yeshiva or really any other school that might be in that situation? Yeah, to be honest, we haven't talked about that a ton, Dave, and that specific, but we're certainly going to be sensitive to it, if that makes sense. Sure. But we're not going to, we're not, I get best the better way to say is we're probably not going to put them in a situation where that becomes more difficult. I don't know that we will do it in a way that is, uh, you know, the, the, the most simplistic and easiest, but we're certainly not going to make it difficult. Oh, yeah, sure. No, I didn't think you'd make it difficult. I just didn't know if you understood sending them to X place would 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 become a difficulty versus sending them to Y, you know, that that would be solved. Yes, I mean, we're going to have those conversations uh, when and if that that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While we're talking, it's still an if. By the time this airs, it'll all to be known, but that can't go back and fix that conversation. Uh, hey, really appreciate it. I know you're very busy. I went a little longer than I thought we would, but uh, a great, I appreciate the insight. We'll try and dig out more answers from you tomorrow when we talk after the brackets have come out, because then we'll have some more hard facts to base things on. But I really appreciate it. As always, we give the guests the final word. Megan, would you like the any final thoughts to those who may be tuned in? Just thanks for tuning in, Dave. I hope the rest of the show goes great. Thanks for everything you do. Mike, good luck to you guys. I know you'll do great. Um, and today's one of the best days of the year for Division Three Hoops, right? Collection Sunday, bracket release. It's super exciting. First championship in a few years. It's, it's a good day. Yeah, and we'll look forward to Tuesday coming. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts? Yeah, I just reiterate what Megan said. Thanks to to Megan and the, the joint effort to get us here. Good luck to her committee and, and bracketing. And thanks for your work, Dave. And like Megan said, this is, this is a fun day. And uh, so let's, in, let's enjoy the next, uh, the next 24 hours or so. And, and uh, once, we, once we get this thing rolling, it'll be a lot of fun. By the way, you guys all agree that we're going to get the final regional rankings from everybody uh, by about six o'clock tonight, right? Yeah, we're going to get, you get those going to hand it out, right? Yeah, right. I think we're going to go with your pestering rule. <sighs> anybody that pesters for them dave suggested shouldn't have access to them so i'm not pestering i, I just i'm offering the i thought the plan we had put in place maybe not maybe I, maybe I was dreaming about that plan i hope they're done by six o'clock tonight oh fair you might still be dealing with them i get it hey thanks very much everybody really appreciate it good luck today good luck on monday look forward to chatting with you on monday and we will look forward to seeing how it all turns out in the next 24 hours Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, guys. It is Mike Shower, Megan Wilson on the National Committees. Welcome back to Oopsville, everybody. Great chat there with the committee chairs. Appreciate their time. Some interesting insights there. First off, that rule, that 6 o'clock local you have to have your games done by is a little bit cumbersome, a little unfortunate. I think that rule needs to be looked at. I thought the rule had existed that you didn't need to – you need to have your game started by a certain time. And I thought it was Eastern time, but apparently we're mistaken. So nonetheless, um, we will continue to, to monitor that. There is a Sky game going on that will affect the men's side, but we'll get to the men's side probably after that game is over. So it shouldn't affect our mock rankings. But I thank Meg Wilson and Mike Shower for being on the show, for their insight. They'll be back on the show Monday night, and we will talk to them about 
uh, the brackets decisions and the at-large decisions and all that that it pertains. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get our women's mock committee up and rolling. There's four of us. And we will talk about what we, who we think will be in and out of the tournament. We get rolling along. We also still have interviews ahead of us as well. They include, um, on the women's side, Rick Harrison, Clark Summits women's basketball coach, Pat Devaney, New Jersey City's women's basketball coach, and Tanya England, Wisconsin Eau Claire women's basketball coach. You're listening to Hoop Soap, presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC studios. It is Selection Sunday special, and our thanks to Jersey Genius Sports Sense and Blue Frame Technology for their help. Back with more after this. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us to, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% will go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs, no Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we continue to roll along on this Selection Sunday special. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. Try and answer your questions best we can. If you've got them, we'll certainly try, as I said, to answer them. Um, you can also join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also join us on, um, well, we're live on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash Hoopsville. That's how you can get a hold of us. We'll look forward to hearing from you and everything in between. We're going to start with women's selections, and then we'll slide over to men's selections. 
on this show, but we'll start with the women. And throughout this process, we're going to take some breaks and still do work behind the scenes while we bring you some interviews as well. But we'll start with the process anyway. And I just realized I, I kind of set this screen up a little bit of hokey, so it's going to take a second to get to it. We'll just go with the version we got and we'll adjust, but we got multiple versions of screens. Joining us on the Blue Frame, Blue Frame Hoopsville Hotline, it is uh, in random order, Gordon Mann, obviously from D3Hoops.com, our friend Scott Peterson, who is uh, our top 25 guy. He's been fun to have. And then Matt Snyder joining us. Matt's doing heavy lifting along with me tonight. Uh, he'll be joining us on both programs. He's doing much of the numbers. may not hear a ton from him during the women's show, but he'll join us nonetheless. First and foremost, gentlemen, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Gordon, I'm going to start with you because it was interesting because at one point I thought things were going to kind of hold steady on the women's side. We wouldn't have a lot of upsets. And then well, Saturday night happened. <laughs> yeah, I thought, you know, if you, you take anything out of out of the, the championship Saturday, I, I think you take a couple of things. I think you, you take three teams uh, completing undefeated runs in very different ways. Christopher Newport going across the country and beating a really good Santa Cruz team that uh, we'll get to at some point to talk about whether the banana slugs, uh, whether we think they they get a chance to dance. I don't know what a dancing slug would look like, but I think it would be funny. Um, you get Transylvania, which was just stomped through the HCAC, like, you know, Godzilla through downtown Tokyo um, <laughs> and did it again yesterday. Uh, and then you get Webster, who's been a little off the radar, uh, came back to win their game over Westminster last night. Um, you know, and it, it's funny, we'll, we'll go, as we go through the process, we'll talk about how it works and how it's different than what you may think. But throughout the broadcast, they were talking about how Webster was definitely in the tournament. Webster was definitely in the tournament, regardless of the result. Webster was out of the tournament if they didn't win that game last night. And I understand that if you're in that conference and you look at them, you go, they're undefeated. They're one of three undefeated teams. They have to be in. They were almost definitely not because of the way this process wants. Now, the Gorlocks won't have to worry about it. Um, I don't know who they'll get in the first round. That will be an interesting uh, decision. Uh, but this is not about uh, whether you're the second place team in your conference. This is not necessarily just about winning percentage, although that is a factor in it. It's not about geographic proximity of wealth. They put this team in, now they could build a pod around. It's not about those things. Um, so those that's what I, I took out of that. I think a couple of conferences that were probably two team conferences may have become three team conferences. Um, it's always interesting to see what, what will happen with the NESCAC Bates winning and beating Amherst and winning three games on the road in that conference tournament at Middlebury at Trinity and then neutral against Amherst today. Um, Harden Simmons getting through the ASC. That was another really good top heavy conference. Uh, and, uh, you know, then, and then later today, there should have been about 10 different teams watching the final championship game today between Trinity of Texas, uh, and, uh, Colorado College and the Tigers of, of Colorado College made everybody sweat. It was two point game with a few minutes to go. Uh, and Trinity of Texas is definitely in. So that would have that would have burst the bubble if, if Colorado College had won. Um, but the Tigers from San Antonio hung on and won and preserved the bid for somebody. And uh, we'll get by the, to the by the end of this. We'll know who we think that somebody is. Um, and then tomorrow we'll find out who that somebody really was. Right. Ultimately, we'll find out if we're right or wrong in this whole process, which I always think is the most interesting part of all this. Yeah, crazy. By the way, NESCAC, you know, Bates winning just a fourth team uh, to win the NESCAC title. 
Um, going into that game, there had only been three others. And Bates becomes a fourth, and you know, hats off to them. I know you wanted Trinity to win it, Gordon. I understand. Um, I did. I have a personal preference there, sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, gentlemen, we're going to try and go through this process a bit um, the way the National Committee would. Uh, obviously, there's strength of schedule. There is uh, head-to-head. There's comparable opponents. There's win-loss percentage. And there's results versus regionally ranked opponents. We have tried to figure out how these regions would, would work, shake out should they – um, be rearranged by the national committee. We have not on on not been able to on the women's side been able to hashtag glean as much information as we would hope to. While you were talking, I was hashtag gleaning some men's information, but unable to grab the women's information like we hope. But at the same time, I think they also kind of are sometimes a little bit more understood. If that makes any sense, um, do we want to reset? the the regions real quick and just explain what where we think everybody is in each region and then and go from there or yeah so it probably it probably makes sense for folks who are hearing this for the first time who's butter or whatever it is later on the sun is, is playing in this to, to under <coughs> understand how it works so you start with regional committees who uh will, will see the teams in their region in the past there's been eight uh this year there's ten uh Regional committees do their work. They, they, whoever the top X number of teams, it varies by by size of region, uh, and then they forward their list to the national committee, who has the ability to reorder that. And then you go to you, the top at large uh, team from each from each region, the one who hasn't won its automatic bid. They all kind of what we'll say go to the table, metaphorically speaking, uh, and then the committee evaluates those. Now it will be ten teams together and takes whichever one they think has the best at-large resume. And then whoever is the next at-large candidate from that region follows them behind. You may get to a point where all of the teams, if, if, if regional ranking committees say had whatever, 10 teams in its region, you may get to the end and the 10 teams, you may be through that list, either because the teams won automatic bid or you've taken all the at-large uh, members. There will be, there's more teams behind that. That doesn't mean that's the end of that region and nobody else can get a bid. Uh, and that's generally speaking how it works mechanically and it is as concise a way as I can put it for something that involves some math and some human error and lots of different people and a very late night um, and lots of other things that are totally hard to factor into this. Well, yeah, exactly. The hard the factor in part, I think, is, is the most amazing part of this um, that we always have to deal with. Um, all right. So. How we see Region 1 right now is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, Amherst followed by Tufts, Emmanuel, Bates, Trinity, St. Joe's of Maine, Husson, Maine Maritime, Farmingdale State, Farmington, Farming, Farmingham State, easy for me to say. Um, region 2, Smith, Roger Williams, Springfield, ba- ah, we could go through all these. It probably gets annoying now that I think about it. Um, we'll be bringing the, the one who's on the table up first. And that's, what's tricky because some of these have entered the tournament. We just talked about that one and Amherst and Tufts, for example, didn't make the tournament. So in reality, we're going to have to bring them up onto the table as part of this conversation. Um, so we'll start with who we think's at the board and, and one team from every single region is at the table. And now we can readjust our camera shot again. And you can see that we have Amherst on the board along with Springfield representing regions one and two, followed by Cortland, Stevens, 
Johns Hopkins, Washington and Lee, DePaul, Milliken, Whitewater, and Mary Harden Baylor. Those are the um, one through 10 regions. They're on your screen in the lower left-hand corner. The selections have obviously blank up in upper corner, um, but we'll get those in there here as soon as well. Um, does anybody want to make an argument? I would say, let's just do the first, first pick. We do have a few selections kind of ready to go that we can just boom, get them out of the way. Um, and, and move on to where it's starting to get much more difficult. But let's at least go through the steps of what we would do for the first pick. Does anybody want to make an argument off the gate of the criteria and what everybody thinks it, it, it leans towards? So before we get started, I do want to say that we need to know, you need to know the final regional rankings to be able to know who's on the board. We don't know the real final regional rankings. True. So this is our guess at what the final regional rankings are. Um, and if it ends up being different, like we think that St. Lawrence ends up fifth in region three, if they aren't fifth, but they're seventh or eighth, that means a big, big change for them. Right. Um, but this is our prediction of who the committee will pick um, based on our guess at what the final regional rankings are. That's a good point. Yes. Thank you. And, and Scott, you, you've done a lot of the heavy lifting here. Do you want to talk about what adjustments you think come out of this weekend as compared to the last public regional ranking, the Wednesday? Yeah. So, so I think in region six, um, Southern Virginia and Shenandoah, both winning, um, those tournaments, um, will rocket them from outside of the regional rankings to, I think third and fourth, it could be fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth, but I think that they rise very high up as the teams third through ninth in that region are very close together or three through however many are ranked. Um, it won't matter for them because they have automatic bids. Um, but we'll see. What else happens in that region? I think St. Lawrence is perhaps the biggest change. They were unranked. I think they moved to fifth because their winning percentage got better. Their strength of schedule moved above 500 and they added a second win via a regional ranked opponent by beating, I believe, Vassar. I think that it, it appears that the committee views, once you get to two regional wins, a lot different than if you had one on the women's side. That's what I was seeing. I tried to kind of look at what the second regional rankings in the top 16 and say, like, how do I think the committee is weighting the different criteria. And it looks like if you have zero wins versus region ranked opponents or just one, they were kind of holding you back a little bit. I think St. Lawrence is going to break through that. Um, I think Ohio Wesleyan will be ranked, which is going to help DePaul. Um, I think New Jersey city might sneak on um, in region four. They obviously have an automatic bid. Um, maybe not though. They don't, they have a winning percentage under 600, but that region is very weak at the bottom. And then I do, I think Widner Pacific uh, and WashU will make it onto the regional rankings, which will help whoever they played. Um, but I don't believe that they will be at the table for pool C selections. Well done. <laughs> yeah, no. And obviously the top part of this is easy. It's when we get down lower where this is going to get gnarly. So some of these decisions are a little bit more slam dunk. And in reality, what jumps off the table is a winning percentage of 875, an SOS of 616, and a results versus region ranked of 8-2. and two. The only one that might give that a run for the money in terms of results versus region ranked is DePaul, but it's SO their SOS isn't as good. Millikan's certainly got some great numbers, but their win-loss percentage and their SOS aren't as good. Maybe Whitewater, maybe. But I'm I'm still leaning towards Amherst, and if we start diving into that eight and two, obviously the eight and two looks pretty, pretty good for Amherst as well. Um, obviously, I think I'm Amherst kinda, is a solid pick here. Yeah, and, I think Amherst is the obvious pick in this situation. 
because they just have the best criteria. And, and whether we get this right in order is kind of irrelevant. We all know Amherst is probably getting picked anyway. Right. Yep. So I Amherst agree. is pick number one for us of what will eventually be 20 at-large picks. There are no Pool Bs in Division Three women right now. There will be next year, side note. Uh, at least if my math is correct. So Amherst comes off the board, and they are replaced by Tufts. And Tufts is obviously also from the NESCAC with a 833 winning percentage of 639 SOS. Nine and four versus regionally ranked opponents. Um, and other fun criteria as well, um, as we have some good stuff also from Mr. Matt Snyder and his SOS numbers because we have non-conference SOS and all of that jazz. Uh, let's just do one more just for good measure, guys. Uh, obviously, Tufts enters the equation here and, and kind of, you know, that 9-4 and four results versus region rank just blows you off the table. But at the same time, their SOS, 639, and winning percentage is a little bit lower. Do, does, now any, does it change the equation a little bit, Scott, from your perspective? Um, I think the committee values winning percentage very highly. And because Ohio Wesleyan, I think, gets into the rankings, bringing DePaul up to eight wins versus regionally ranked opponents, I think DePaul could be off the board next. I don't think there's a lot between DePaul and Tufts' resumes, um, but I, I think DePaul could really come off next. I think that's I think that's a valid argument. Um, we have to remind, again, you just kind of brought that up. Again, Ohio Wesleyan enter changes the equation for a lot of things. And reminder, it's the last two regional rankings so week three and the final one it's a little tricky it's not week two but week three and the final ones that we don't see play a role in this for a final number yeah i'm fine with depaul i don't know how anybody else feels on that great i'm fine with that yep. yeah so depaul becomes the next pick we believe as an at-large and again some of these are kind of slam dunk so that's how the process works amerson and depaul uh our next picks i think the rest of them are pretty obvious as too we'll just remind you that when DePaul comes off the board. Trine enters at 889 out of the MIAA, a 550 with a 5-3 and three versus regionally ranked opponents, including one against Hope. That is certainly a good one in their resume. And two losses against Hope, but it shows that they played them and beat them. So that becomes a significant factor for Trine as well. I think at this point, unless you guys are comfortable, I think we can reveal that we, we have at least four more picks that we've already slam dunked. Um, how do you guys feel about it? That's fine. Okay. So we'll reveal the fact that our next pick was going to be, and I say ours, these guys did most of the lifting on this. Tufts is our next pick, followed by Wisconsin Whitewater. Then we picked Trine, and then we picked John Carroll. So those were our top six at-large picks, leaving us only 14 left, just 14. Uh, We'll reset the board here uh, in a moment, and then what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and actually do an interview so we can kind of discuss and see if we get ourselves on the pages for the next couple of selections also we've got some great interviews and we want to hear from them um on the board now is trinity springfield Cortland, stevens out of the mac freedom is in region four hopkins remains on the board washington and lee marietta is now out of region seven millican out of region eight warpburg out of region nine and mary hunt baylor still on the table out of the asc in region 10 so With that, we will take a quick break. When we come back again, we will talk to a women's coach. Uh, We will talk to, actually, I'm going to kind of, I told you on the sheet, order can change. We're going to talk to uh, Tanya Englund, head coach at Wisconsin uh, Eau Claire, who's also on a rack. 
So we'll talk to her coming up. You're listening to Hoops Hope. It's by D3Hoops.com. It's a Selection Sunday special. want to thank our partners at uh, Sensible Sports Marketing. We'll talk about them when we come back as well. You're listening to Hoops Hope. Back with more after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. More schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoopsville. As we continue along, I want to thank our partners at Sensible Sports Marketing. Are you looking for promotional products and apparel? Sensible Sports Marketing has the largest selection in college athletics. If you can dream it, they can do it. From game day, I'm boring the guys. From game day giveaways to premium donor gifts and more, visit GetSportsSense.com or give them a call at 800-575-4765. That's GetSportsSense.com or 800-575-4765. We're going to be continuing on with our selections in a moment. The guys are working hard, and I'll be joining them in a minute. But we want to talk to the two coaches we did talk to earlier today about their success this season and what they've done and how things have gone so far. Um, and conference, you know, conference championships, um, punching their tickets to the NCAA tournament, all those things that are certainly very important for many of those in, in this tournament. And so we have a few of those, and we're going to start with Wisconsin Whitewater, Tanya Englund and her squad playing very good basketball this season. At times, a little bit funky. Tanya joined us to talk about it earlier today. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the head coach of the Wisconsin-Eau Claire women's team. It is Tanya Englund. Coach, thanks for joining me on the show. Congratulations on the trophy, which is clearly well-positioned behind you. It has a new home in the office, and I appreciate you having me on today. And um, definitely a lot of blue-gold love in Eau Claire right now. 
Absolutely. Uh, Bill Fenlon did that with us a few years back when DePaul won the Nash, the uh, conference championship on a surprise. We'll be talking to Bill later. He made sure that the trophy and net were in the right position on camera. Hey, listen, this is you guys have had an interesting season because you started real strong and you had a lot of eyes on you. I remember, I mean, as a, as a group in D3, we were chatting about you guys because you had significant wins. You had wins over Oshkosh and Stevens Point, Simpson by two points, Trine by six in the third game of the season. Things were really kind of rolling along, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is this has really made the, the Wyack race interesting. And then the Wyack race didn't, I don't think, go according to how you or anybody expected it. You took a couple of two-game losses, Whitewater and Stout, followed by Stout and Stevens Point later in the year with Oshkosh thrown in there. So it felt like maybe you guys, and it granted the Wyack stuff, stub, kind of stumbled a little bit before writing yourselves back up, going on this four-game winning streak and, and winning the conference title, and you almost did it off the radar. Does any of that make sense? Is that how you guys felt it was? Um, you know, that's our team this year. I only have one senior this year. Which is amazing um, considering so COVID. I, just amazing. And uh, one true senior, uh, not a fifth year senior. And so on paper, we're young. Um, and the, the schedule that I set up this year um, was challenging. Um, you just named it off. Simpson, Trine, uh, UT Dallas. Um, we've seen the best along with the Whitewaters, the Oshkoshes. And I will say I've been in the WIC for 22 years. This was one of the toughest years in the league, top to bottom. Mm. Um, so Really, when you look back on our season, um, I will always say as a coach, play the best to be the best, see the best. And we've done that. And maybe we took maybe some so-called setbacks during that time. But in my mind, they were growing opportunities that made us better. And that's what I've been interested in all along, especially because I have a young team. Um, that resume, though, I feel like the wins over Trine and Simpson show how great we can be. And then getting into our league, um, we just put it together at the right time. And that's a credit to my team. Yeah, thanks for the mentioning uh, uh, Texas-Dallas because I forgot about that one. That was December 30th. Uh, you beat 57-51. Um, that was coming off of a game against Calvin the day before where you beat them 61-49. And by the way, you played Austin. So you played three games um, in three days with a game against Southwestern that was supposed to have been played. Your trip to Texas yeah. didn't go according to plan is what I'm trying to get Well, at. and that's kind of when the craziness started really for right. everyone. Yeah. Um, and so – when you look at everybody's overall schedules right now, I don't read too much into uh, January to tell you the truth, because there. there was, you know, not full rosters and people rescheduling teams and things like that. And so um, that, that month was just a blur to me to tell you the truth. But I do know that when we went to Dallas, we played great competition there winning three games in five days this week, we had already done that. Um, and so having to go on the road from the three seed, going to Stout, going to Whitewater, um, you know, looking back at all those things, that was a lot of our season and our schedule already. So we were quite used to that as a team. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the conference tournament was was a, a beast to begin with, but I want to backtrack a little bit. Obviously, that run was significant. You had that beginning of the season where you went, oh, what was it? eight and oh before you took the loss to Bethany Lutheran, which is by the way, also one of those was like, okay, your players are rolling along. Wait, wait, who do they lose to? And it's not that Bethany Lutheran's a bad team. Don't get me wrong. It was just, you'd beaten trying. You had beaten Simpson. You should beat Bethany Lutheran. But as you said, the team's just been kind of like that this year. Oh yeah. And also um, 
you know, Bethany Luther and beat Oshkosh. Um, right, great right. post player. Um, one of the best players in the country in Bethany Lutheran, um, just a great post player that plays for them. Um, and so I mean, even some of our losses, I look back and think it made us better. Uh, and that's uh, my background is in education. It's in coaching. It's that you challenge your teams and you learn from those things and you peak at the right time. And that's, in my opinion, what we've done. We peaked. We're back to kind of our, our karma and our mojo of what we had early on in the season um, and that's exciting right now to see the great basketball we're playing and just Whitewater's such a great team. Um, that game was just epic, um, just epic. And so, um, you know, your great opponents bring out the best in you. And I have to credit the WIC this year for making us better. What's really interesting is you talk about the conference. You, when you look at it now at the end here, River Falls was a game below 500 ish. They were 12 and 13 Stevens point right at 500 at 11 and 11. Um, you had Platteville five games under 500 at 10 and 15, which I always argue is two and a half games below. Mm-hmm. Um, Oshkosh was 19 and 16. You, know, you guys 21 and seven, Whitewater 23 and four. And when I had Kerry Carolla on the show recently, it felt like Whitewater was walking away with a the conference. They had a three game lead in the conference. It looked like they were the strongest in the conference. And I said, you know, it feels like it's not as top heavy as it's usual, maybe middle heavy, maybe bottom heavy, but not top heavy. You guys kind of proved it was more of the top-ish side. Because, again, I'm used to Oshkosh being up there in the number one spot. I'm used to how this was pre-COVID. But in reality, yeah, it was deeper than we expected. Absolutely. I mean, and those three teams that you're talking about, heavyweight battles between all of us. Um, And, you know, when you come to the end of the year and you've played that kind of competition and then you throw in, we had, uh, I believe, in the top five in the nation for our non-conference strength of schedule. Um, you play a full season like that, and those games at the end, um, you really find out how much it's challenged you. Um, so I think what you really hit on there, too, is almost every single team in our league had a winning record. If you look at the leagues throughout the country, that is, I mean, you don't see that. I mean, every single team in our league got better this year. That's a credit to the coaching in the league. I mean, just outstanding coaches in our league. 77-63, I'll admit. Um, didn't see that one coming. Whitewater had beaten you guys. You'd beaten Whitewater early in the season by 10. I get that. They'd beaten you early in the season by nine. But it's a conference championship game. 14 points at their place. That that's that's a significant win to not only claim the title, but to you know put Whitewater into the bubble, not into the bubble, but the at large. You beat them 20 to 8 in the fourth quarter. I mean, what clicked for that game? Well, we were down by eight at half um at Whitewater. And um, like I said, only one senior. Um, the third quarter was one of the best quarters that I've been a part of as a player, as a coach. Um, and I've been doing this for a long time. Um, 27-17. Yeah, wow. Jesse Rudin, our point guard, who's a junior, one of the best players in the nation, 5'10", leading the league in scoring, had 19 points in that quarter. Um, just took it over. And um, just, and again, our team is like that. We score in spurts. We, we all of a sudden just are playing great basketball and we came out and executed, shot the ball well, but Jesse Rudin took over. It was one of those special, special performances in the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, um, it was the whole entire team just holding together and hitting free throws down the stretch. Um, it, coaches talk all the time about that game where it was gritty. You saw your team emerge was everything that we've talked about during the season put together in two quarters. It, it was really special. Now, 19 of the t- team's 27 points. She finished with 31 total. You had three players in double figures. 
Uh, it was really the, the, the Crouch, Rudin, and Botcher's show because it was 20, 31, and 15, respectively. Just 11 points scored by anybody else. It was uh, Kylie Mogan and, and uh, Jade Gansky, your two starters. You only brought three off the bench. Is that typical that you're that short off the bench? Um, that, that's been our we're, – we're the seven-and-a-half to eight uh, rotation throughout the year. Um, but a lot, I mean, a, a group and a team that has had some players that have played significant roles for us in different ways. Um, I will say that Kylie Mogan and Jade Gansky um, defensively anchored us in that game against the great Whitewater Pulse players. Uh, Jade Gansky is only a sophomore. She's leading the nation in shot blocks for Division Three. Um, Kylie Mogan is a transfer who joined us who is just beginning to emerge in our program. Um, and so even though we had the three guards do a lot of the scoring, it was our post that anchored our defense. Um, and so that, that's what I love about this group. We've become a much better team defensively lately. We've been able to score uh, in spurts all year, but the defense has really been the key for us. Gancy's pretty much three and a half blocks per contest. Uh, that Only goes, a sophomore. Only yeah, a sophomore. Mind-blowing. That goes along with her seven points per game. Uh, two and a half, uh, I'm sorry, six and a half rebounds per contest. And and that's the other thing that jumps out at me, by the way. You are a very even rebounding team. Rudin's got four. Botcher's got five and a half. Crouch has got four. Four and a half for Reardon. Um, Mogan with five and a half and, and Gansky with six. It's a very even distribution of rebounding, meaning the whole team's involved in that aspect of it. And that can be tough to beat. It, it's And it's it's significant for our team because we share the ball really well. Um, there's a lot of balance scoring, but also defensively, everybody kind of carries the load. And you look at our starting lineup, it's a six mm -hmm. foot five, 10 straight across the board, super athletic lineup. Um, fun to watch, uh, can shoot the three, open it up and run. Um, just a lot of those things that you hope that you have an opportunity to coach as a, as a, a head coach. And, um, like I said, there's just so much potential in the group that we're just happy to continue to play, to be honest. We just sure. want to keep this going. Well, uh, I don't know if you got the memo, but you are continuing on. You you qualified <laughs> for the NCAA tournament. You will be playing. I know, that the, I know that the city of Eau Claire got that memo. There is a lot of blue gold love right now. Um, we're hoping to bring uh, NCAA basketball back to Zorn Arena um, with a possibility to maybe host. Um, but I will tell you that our fans are among the best and just a crazy basketball town. Both our hockeys are in the WIAC finals right now. Yeah, um, It's just the best time of the year, but really a campus that really has embraced my team, especially this week when we had to go on the road. Yeah, right. You had to go on the road. Yeah. Who knows where you'll be, whether you're at home, whether you're on the road, who you'll be playing and all that. I, I know as a RAC member, you certainly have an understanding of how this works better than most, but have have you been able to try and let people understand how this works? And do you even feel like you've got the answers? Oh, no. I mean, we do the best. We do the best that we can as RAC members. And I've really enjoyed being a RAC member. This is my first year on. Yeah. Um, and my colleagues, I think Megan has done an absolutely tremendous job as uh, our national chair. Megan and I go way back to when she played at Point. Right. Uh, we've known each other for years and um, she's just been tremendous. And so more than anything off the rack committee, what I've enjoyed is just being able to spend some more time with my colleagues, just great people who are really doing this for all the right reasons. Um, beyond that, you know, I mean, we're going to support whatever they come up with. If we have to travel, we have to travel. But I know that 
there's a lot of people right now that are pulling for Zorn Arena to have, you know, some championship basketball back in it. Well, and and we talked to your AD earlier this season. There's a whole new arena coming. Uh, you guys there as is. an institution have really bought in and it's seasons like this that show why. And I'll tell you, I mean, I look back on my final four team in 0203. It was us and hope. Um, we hosted here, um, closed the place down, had people camping out overnight. Yeah. Um, you know, Hope has built that beautiful facility um, and it's really, really helped their programs. The San Anteg Center is going to do the same for us. Um, I love Zorn Arena immensely. I've been here and been a part of tradition and all the things that Zorn Arena has brought to us. But having the new facility is going to take us to a whole new level. Absolutely. But I, in my heart, I want to bring NCAA basketball back to Zorn Arena for the two more years that it's going to stand. No, I'm looking forward to it, and it's certainly going to be fascinating. By the way, your rack work, I just want to say, do you feel like you you can go sleep now? Well, I'm not going to sleep in general. It doesn't have anything to do with so much the rack work as much as it does the week that comes ahead of us. I can't right. really tell you that I've probably slept more than two hours in maybe the last three weeks. Um, I'm just not a sleeper. It's just no, there's yeah. time to sleep down the road. Now's the time and the best time of the year, and I've just been that way since I was a player. I'm just so excited for my players to have the experience that I had as a student athlete that there there's nothing like it. And it's life-changing. Yeah, I can see the excitement and I appreciate it. No, absolutely. That's awesome. Hey, I'll, I'll let you go. I know you got better things to do than chat with us, but I appreciate the time. As always, we give the guests the final word, many final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in. Um, my favorite saying all the time is pretty good's pretty bad. Um, I say that all the time uh, that we're shooting to be excellent here and uh, we're in that excellence realm now to have made it to this level. Um, just a shout out to the blue gold fans and the fast in the fact that they embrace that excellence. We're about that at UW Claire and we're going to do our best to bring a national championship home to them. Well, congratulations. Absolutely impressive. Uh, looking forward to seeing where you end up on the bracket and, and what that might mean in the long run as well. We know a lot of teams that probably don't want to see you guys. So uh, looking forward to it. Thanks so much for the time. Good luck, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks for all you do for D3 Hoops. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. She's Tanya Anglin from Wisconsin-Eau Claire, heading off to the tournament on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. And welcome back live. Whoop, sorry for the audio hit. It does that. We're going to have to deal with that, the computer just being the computer. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville, email us hoopsville at d3sports.com. I want to thank uh, Tanya Englund for joining us. Really appreciate uh, getting to hear from her and her program and getting her intake or intake, insight on the on the rack. Good stuff from her. Really appreciate it. In the meantime, we figured out a couple more picks, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk about those more picks and um, everything that goes with them, who, we, who we've selected off the board, and who's now on the table to be selected. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC Studios. Back with more after this. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault.
got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoops Hello, everybody. As we continue to roll along, I am your host, Dave McHugh, on the show. As we roll along, if you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. You can also join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also join us on Twitter, Twitter.com slash Hoopsville. Well, we're live simulcasting the show. Uh, there's a chat room in both that you can try and take advantage of if you so choose. Uh, I've got a tweet. Um, oh, we'll come back to that in a second. Oh, it says, uh, um, as you know, I'm an ardent supporter and follower of the Mayak women's basketball and have been covering it for years. It should be absolute travesty, in my opinion, if Augsburg women's basketball is left out again. Thanks. Well, I'll start for the fact that they stumbled in the last quarter of the season, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But they were doing real well and then kind of started falling apart at the seams. Had a chance to win the AQ. Remember, you do not want to put this in the committee's hands if you can't avoid it. Uh, if you ultimately do, that is then, it, you know, anything's possible. So when you've got a chance to win the AQ, take advantage of it. And that's where we find ourselves with a lot of teams. Let's go back to the uh, panel, though. Uh, Matt has stepped aside for a minute. He needs to update some things on the men's side of things. So he's there as uh, we'll get off my graphic there, apparently. Um, Gordon Mann, um, Scott Peterson and myself still here as we roll along. And gentlemen, we have gotten three more picks taken care of. Uh, we will go to that momentarily and we'll do it now with the three new picks that we added. We picked in the seventh spot, Milliken, the eighth spot, Mary Harden Baylor, and the ninth spot, Johns Hopkins. So they are off the table and onto the board, onto the uh, at-large selections. It's, you can see those at-large selections in the upper left. And the board, who is still going for us, as it were, is sitting in the lower left of your screen. Um, gentlemen, we reset the board in Region 1. We have Trinity, Connecticut from the NESCAC. In Region 2, it's Springfield. Region 3, it's Cortland. Region 4, Stevens. Region 5 is Elizabethtown, Region 6, Washington and Lee, Region 7 is Marietta, and Region 8, Carroll, Region 9 is Wartburg, and ETBU is now on the table out of Region 10. And this is definitely where we're starting to get into the more difficult part of things, where the, the diving into the numbers, as we started to talk about behind the scenes, uh, looking at, oh, who did they win against? Who did they lose against? And this is where we might have to start diving into secondary criteria on top of all of that. Um, let's just reset where we are. Again, we've got the board, Trinity, Springfield, Cortland, Stevens, Elizabethtown, WNL, Marietta, Carroll, Wartburg, and ETBU. The best winning percentage on the table right now belongs to Springfield out of the New Mac with an 846. The best SOS on the table right now is out of Trinity for the NESCAC at a 593. Just in a strict numbers perspective, the best results versus wins, results versus regionally ranked opponents is Carroll, with a six and five mark. Not that that really tells us anything, except that I just named three teams. And so no three teams, no one team is standing out in this. Scott, I'll start with you. Anybody that does stand out for you though. So based on those, again, those second regional rankings, it looked like winning percentage is valued very highly. So I would put Springfield at the top and then look for reasons to kind of 
move them down if another team is within shouting distance of winning percentage, but much stronger in the other criteria. And to me, the three teams that I'm comparing here are Springfield, Marietta, and East Texas Baptist. Um, I would lean Springfield, but I would not be surprised if Gordon or the committee picked Marietta or East Texas Baptist at this juncture. Yeah, I would, I would, I would take Springfield. I would take Springfield here too. Um, I, I think the gap in, in winning percentage between them and Marietta and them and East Texas Baptist or Wartburg, you know, who's also 800 is, is large enough. 547 is, is significant there. I, I think it's because it's hard to draw a differential too strong, a differentiation between Springfield. Mary Harden Baylor and Hopkins who all had 846 and their strength of schedule was kind of in the same region. And they're, if you don't look at who they played, the, just the numbers or results versus regionally ranked opponents is close. I, I think, I mean, I, I think Springfield, I think Springfield goes next. Agreed. I, I don't disagree. I think it, it, they do make an, a strong argument. Um, and I think maybe that's where we got to go next. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have an argument there. I, I, it, it makes logical sense. So, you know, another team, kind of like I was just saying about Augsburg, who kind of stumbled, had a tremendous season, was undefeated for about two thirds, if not more, of the season, and then the new Mac kind of reared up and 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 bit them. But that said, they did have a pretty good schedule, and that's kind of why we're talking about them because again, they had a really good SOS. So Springfield, yeah, I don't know that Augs- I don't know that Augsburg ever gets to the table. I mean, they're pretty far down in Region Nine, right? Right, and, and, and to your point, man. great. Back to the Twitter question. I, I think you're right. I think one of the problems with Augsburg is having is that they may not get to the table. Um, we don't even have them currently in a regionally ranked position. Um, I'd have to go dive into their, their metrics. Um, see if I can find them real quick. Hold on a sec. Just to give a, a reference point, because the question did come up, obviously. Because uh, Augsburg is in, got a they're seven, in Region 9. Yep. 778 winning percentage, a 519 SOS, which in women isn't great. That 519 yeah. hurts. Um, their non-conference SOS is pretty solid, 597. Um, they lost all three of their non-conference games, <laughs> right? And they're one, in, yeah, and they're one in four versus regionally ranked opponents. It just yeah. not as strong. And, that's, and that and that right there, that kills you. Yeah, I mean, you. you We'll see if we get to the end. Some years you get to the end and you do have a team with a region and nobody has a really good record. And so you say, okay, well, this team at least played regionally ranked teams, but it's rare that you get down that far and someone with zero or one wins is getting an at-large bid. Right. And so it might be a travesty to one person, but the reality is they didn't put a schedule together. And I know the Mayak hamstrings them. I, I get that. Yeah. Well, they... Thing is, they did. They just didn't win those games. But right, they scheduled a WIAC team, right. Bethany Lutheran, who I know fell apart near the end, and a UAA team. Those are good teams. They just went zero and three against them. Yeah, agreed. And and that killer, killer. Um, and so I don't. You're. I, I agree with you. I don't think they actually end up getting to the table. Um, but we'll cross that bridge. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it anyway. So Springfield's off the table. They are replaced by uh, Babson. Also appropriately out of the new Mac with a 731 winning percentage, significant difference there. But their SOS is a 604. They're five and six versus regionally ranked. And this is really when we have to start diving in, as we said, who is playing who. Um, what, what do those regional ranked numbers really look like? So we'll cross that bridge. 
here as we go along. Um, just numbers-wise, again, um, winning percentage-wise, uh, Cortland and Marietta now have the highest winning percentage. The best SOS is now Babson. Uh, and results versus regionally ranked still in Carroll's favor because they're 6-5, and five, better than the Babson's 5-6. and six. But again, who are those wins against? Who are those losses against? Are they high in the regional rankings? Are they low in the regional rankings? That's part of this equation here that we have to dive into. Uh, Gordon, any, the, anything that jump out at you initially? Yeah, at this point, I mean, not that, you know, so remember here, I think results against common opponents, is that a secondary criteria? No, that's no. common opponents is primary. Okay. Yeah, so that's going to keep Trinity in front of Babson because Trinity has where Babson lost to Williams, who Trinity beat. Babson lost to Tufts, who Trinity beat. Both teams lost to Amherst. Uh, both teams lost to Smith. They were supposed to play each other. That was one of the games that got canceled due to COVID. Um, but that's going to – Trinity will have a 2-0 advantage there. And so even as you look at that, remember that Babson, if, again, depending on how they weight that, they're at least behind the Bantams, right? Um, not that they – I don't think either one of those are the next one off the table anyway. Uh, but it would be just as if these teams had a head-to-head victory one over the other that would kind of lock somebody behind somebody else. No, you're right. That is a significant, I think, situation with that. That's going to keep Babson locked in until we get Trinity off the table. If we get yeah. Trinity off the table. And I'm looking to see if there were crossover games. Stevens did not play anybody. Well, we could get into that later on. I'm just sure. looking at the numbers here. Um Those 800 winning percentages still stand out. Yep. I have a dead heat between Marietta and East Texas Baptist. Marietta is barely up in winning percentage. East Texas Baptist is barely up in SOS. Same number of wins versus region ranked opponents. And I think Marietta beating John Carroll is more impressive to me than East Texas Baptist beating Mary Harden Baylor, probably the best win for each. So I would lean Marietta here. Sorry, I'm just uh, getting out a, a tweet real quick. Um, yeah. Do we have – so remind me again, say again, why you want to go Marietta? I think they're a dead heat across the board with East Texas Baptist, but they have a better best win. Okay. Um, just out of curiosity – well, no, I mean, I think that would actually – would be it. I was going to say, do we go to secondary? But if they've got a better results versus regionally ranked resume, I think that's kind of your your deciding factor for sure. And they've played one more game versus region ranked opponents as well, while maintaining a better winning percentage. Um, and I mean, beating John Carroll to me, that's impressive. So Marietta's Marietta's five wins. One is John Carroll. With the other four, because they went zero and two against Baldwin Wallace and got blown out of the gym both times. Um, Ohio Northern is definitely one. Um, but that's a loss. Yeah, so that's uh, – they split, so there's two. So there's three more somewhere in here. Ohio Northern, Ohio Wesleyan, and I oh, believe Washington Jefferson. Oh, okay. Yeah. And what is East Texas Baptist have? Um, they beat Harden-Simmons twice. 
and uh, Trinity of Texas lost to Rhodes, beat Emory. That's probably one. Right. So Emory, Trinity, Texas, Harden Simmons twice, Mary Harden Baylor once. So yeah, this is this is where it gets hard for me because I'm used to look at these teams in the context of the top 25 poll, <laughs> and and right. that's not at all the criteria, nope. right? So. Ohio yeah. Northern, Ohio Wesleyan, and Washington and Jefferson haven't been ranked and have probably had, you know, 50 vote points total throughout the whole voting thing. Harden Simmons, Mary Harden Baylor have been ranked for better or worse most of the year. So it's hard for me to look at East Texas Baptist and not say that they have the more impressive wins to me. But again, top 25 positioning and, and appearance in it is is not at all a factor. Um Five and four, five and three. I mean, the winning percentage is basically dead even. They just yeah. played a different number of games. It is, yeah. And we believe it's results against not winning percentage, right? So going five and four is actually better than five and three because you've played a tougher schedule. Um, depending on how you want to phrase it, right? Because their SOS is actually lower, but they have played more teams that are above the cut line for being regionally ranked. Um, yeah. I definitely... I don't want to dock teams for too much for losses versus region ranked opponents. It's worse to lose to a non-regionally ranked opponent right. like DePaul did to Wittenberg, I believe. Yep. Um, well, and the so, committee has done that in the past. They had somebody, gosh, who was it? I think it was Puget Sounder. It was one of the Northwest Conference teams where they said that they had a bad loss, which again, caught our eye because bad losses or not, well, they, that's not a criteria. Right. And they kind of reemphasized this year that, you know, losses aren't really a thing that they dive into because it's not in the criteria. But I agree with you. There there was that that moment that one time that kind of surprised everybody. Um, Matt Snyder off air reminds us that Marietta did beat Otterbein. That's sitting as a number eight in our regional ranking, which is probably okay. if we didn't rank extras would be maybe the bottom of a normal ranking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I would lean Marietta, but I do not feel strongly. And I think that whichever one we don't pick is probably off the board in the next probably spot. Probably next, yeah. That's, <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. And, and to be and honest, we're not going to feel strongly about these from, from now on. <laughs> yeah. Get that out of the way now. Um, yeah, I would, I, would, I would lean that way too. Marietta, again, I know the worst loss thing isn't, but I don't know, Mount Union at home, Sewell Ross State after whatever that is, a 47-hour drive across Texas or whatever it really is. But I'm fine. Marietta's fine. I'm fine with that. All right, so we'll make Marietta our 11th pick. So and the, like Those are so many criteria that are real things, but that the committee may not be digging into. Like, how long did you travel to play? How many games and how many nights? Were you missing yeah. a key player? Was it right after the holidays? Like, those things are real Right. But I'm not sure that the committee they is won't. ever like bringing that to the table. Right? They will not bring that into the table. I mean, I agree with you. It's legitimate conversation, and maybe I mean you could do it. But then you know, as as many have said to me, and I and I understand it. Where do you draw the line of where the subjective is, and where do you draw the line of at some point you're going into some, you know, real nuance that can't be fully appreciated or understood and benefit of the doubt goes to who and who doesn't and all that. So uh, in this case, yeah, I agree with you. Legit stuff to consider as a top 25 voter. 
but the committee's not going to consider it. So, all right, so we take Marietta. They come off the board. Replacing them is Ohio Wesleyan with a 750 winning percentage, a 530 SOS, and a 3-7 versus regionally ranked opponents. Honestly, that does not stand out. Uh, that actually is pretty killer. Uh, the 750 winning percentage is nice, and this is where we'll get an interesting conversation on the women's side, but the 513 SOS really hurts, and the 3-7 and seven versus regionally ranked. We're kind of talking about the Augsburg scenario again here, but Augsburg was even worse in that category. Let's do one more here, and then we'll go. We'll get another interview in. Uh, again, our 11 teams are sitting in that upper left-hand corner of who we have picked with the uh, who's on the table um, being the next group. Sorry, I'm trying to glean some information. I apologize. Uh, where, what's your gut instinct, gentlemen? Um, I am trying to update a few things that I have wrong, but I would have a hard time picking against East Texas Baptist at this point. By the way, just as an aside, when or should we pick ETBU, who I think hurt themselves a little bit this week, but not as bad as I initially thought. I initially thought they only played one game. They played two. Um, that is going to make a bracketing cluster for, um, for the yeah, committee you're because gonna... you're going to have four teams in four teams in Texas, right, Gordon? Trinity is the fourth. Yep. Right. So Trinity plus three ASCs, and we have a rule that we know is in place right. that um, conference mates are not to meet in the first round. Something that right. the committees have always abided by on the men's and women's side unless forced, but that's an across D3 thing. So one of those ASC teams likely, if that's again, if we pick ETBU, one of those ASC teams will fly and they're going to have to bring somebody in. Yeah. I again. think, did we, did we determine that Rhodes can drive to one of the Texas spots? Well, and here's the other caveat, and they mentioned it in the inner, in our chat. We talk about Christopher Newport, and we know the men will have priority the first weekend, women have priority the second weekend. Mary Harden Baylor is likely in this scenario here. So who gets picked on the women's side to host will maybe change that conversation on roads, Gordon. Yeah, just imagine being the Mary Harden Baylor women winning your conference and losing out to the men to host the ASC and then the men to host the first round of the tournament. Yeah, you don't. By the time you get a chance to host, you may not be playing anymore. You, it's so true. <laughs> but again, where where can Rhodes get to? And then the next question is: Do, do they send the number two team or do they send the number three team on the road? And again, who's hosting? Yeah, there's a lot of scenarios here. Should we pick ETBU? And not just we, but the, the National Committee, too. Um, Matt Snyder behind the scenes reminding us that ETBU has beaten Mary Harden-Baylor and Harden-Simmons twice. Yep, those are good wins for ETBU. That is definitely their resume kick here. Um, right now, the best winning percentage on the table is still that 808 out of – or now is the 808 out of Cortland. Right. Um, the best SOS on the table remains Babson at the 604. The best right. results versus regional, just on a straight numbers perspective, is Carroll sitting right. at that six and five. Though with a 731, they have the they are tied for the uh, second worst um, winning percentage on the table. Yeah, um, I, I I like to I like East Texas Baptist here too. Couple games above 500 wins over two teams that are in the bracket. Uh, well, and they're five and three, too. Three if they beat Harden-Simmons, right. So, yeah. Um, 
Well, I was I was looking at them compared to Elizabethtown. Same winning percentage. Elizabethtown's got a better SOS, oh. but Etown's three and five versus regionally ranked opponents. I think that's definitely where the the, right. the equation jumps back to ETBU. And as you said, wins against teams above them in the rankings, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards ETBU unless someone's got an argument yeah. about one of these others. And again, we haven't strayed too far off of the straight stuff here, but it's because we don't have the super great NCAA computers that give us all the nitty gritty. But uh, Scott, do you have a different opinion than that? And we're open. I do not. I think they're the clear one. Um, Matt says Rhodes can bust to ETBU and to Mary Harden Baylor, though 593 to Mary Harden Baylor. <laughs> That said, I don't think Mary Ann Baylor women are, are hosting. I think that was a hint in that conversation with Mike and, and Megan that uh, men, Mary Ann Baylor men will be hosting that opening weekend, which changes everything. Um, I think those in those four teams, wasn't the opening tournament Mary Harden Baylor, East Texas Baptist, Trinity, and Rhodes? I think those four teams opened the season against each other. There was something like that, but I, I don't I, remember I, which – yeah, no, I'm you're right. I'm pretty sure it was those four teams. Yeah, it might have been. You might be so right. They would think they could close the save the season against each other. Yeah, wow, the committee would like to avoid Trinity that. Played at East Texas Baptist to Mary Harden Baylor. Rhodes was the fourth team. Yeah. There you go. The committee would probably try and avoid it, but they may have no choice. Yeah. Oof, that is a tough one. So our twelfth pick, by the way, is uh, going to be ETBU, unless you guys say otherwise. That's great. All right, Sounds so we'll good. put ETBU in as the number twelve. We still got. Eight more to go. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll do another interview. We're going to talk to Clark Summit. They are one of several women's teams into the tournament for the very first time, along with one of our other guests uh, in New Jersey City. But we'll talk to Clark Summit's women's basketball coach, Rick Harrison, coming up about his defenders team, which, by the way, I kind of dig the logo. Uh, we'll talk to them. Uh, winning the CSAC. Uh, that's coming up. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com. Back with more after this. why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. 
And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. Welcome back to Hoopsville as we continue to roll along. Our uh, last three picks again were Springfield, Marietta, and ETBU. We'll continue to work behind the scenes as we then hear from another guest. Quick note on the Mary Harden Baylor comment that I made about men hosting. We're making some assumptions there. We got to go through the men's selections there. Maybe there's not enough men's teams and that's got to go somewhere else. And then Mary Harden Baylor women would be hosting. So don't put that lock, stock, and barrel. I'm just saying those are scenarios that the com- committees are certainly looking into. And we'll keep an eye on as well as we make selections. uh, Let's change direction again. uh, Several teams getting into the tournament for the very first time uh, this uh, basketball season. Uh, Clark Summit women are one of those. Clark Summit women have actually had a pretty good record all season long. A team that's been on my radar out of the CSAC. Just hadn't been able to uh, get them on the show. But they went out out and won the CSAC. Though didn't get the rubber match with Notre Dame out of Maryland, which could have been very interesting, I think, since uh, they the Gators did beat the defenders earlier this season. The two teams split the season. But we got a chance to talk all about Clark Summit with their head coach, Rick Harrison, earlier today. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of Clark Summit. It is Rick Harrison. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Congratulations. A heck of a season and on to the NCAA tournament. Thank you. We're very excited about it and seeing what it's like, the first opportunity here. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's incredible. We'll start, you know, basically with the, the, the simple part of this is you guys have actually had a pretty solid season the entire way. Uh, You guys have certainly been on my radar for much of the season. It's a matter of timing sometimes whether we can get you guys on, but as you point out, you win your first conference uh, championship or first CSAC championship to get onto the NCAA tournament. Was there a point this season with as good as you guys had been playing, with as good as a record you had, that you thought this was definitely realistic? Or did it not really kind of hit you until until you actually clinched it? Um, from the get-go, I thought we had a pretty decent team and thought we could compete pretty good. And then as the season went on, I started thinking, okay, well, maybe we got a shot here to do some damage and make it happen in the end and it just kept going and and the ladies ladies were just great i mean they just work so hard and um and they just have a never give up attitude and it's just awesome coaching them oh i'm sure uh looking at the season as you described uh you played a couple non-d3s to get things started against penn state wilkesbury and and worthington scranton but then you get your first kind of d3 game in, in brooklyn uh get you guys by 13, you come back right away in conference play, we should point out against Cedar Crest, get on the win column. And really what jumped out at me was you played the rest of the first half of the season without taking another loss. And then when you played Scranton on the 10th, that's a game that can easily be an absolute thumping. Scranton's an obviously very good team. And and I don't mean this negatively in a way it may sound, but you only lost by 13. That was actually a bit of a closer game. And I know I took notice and I thought to myself, that's, that's interesting. Clark summit may be better than I expect them to be. Did you guys have the same mentality coming out of that, that, that you kept that one close? Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely made us feel good. Um, I knew they were missing a couple of people though, because of COVID. Um, but still though, it was just a great, opportunity for us to play somebody like that and for him being willing to play us was just a huge honor I thought and uh but yeah it kind of went it even started to get maybe just a little out of hand like up about 25 
but then the ladies they fought back hard and closed it down to 13 so it was it definitely helped give us a little more confidence playing somebody of that caliber well and as you said to fight back and, and that's significant you can easily be down in a game like that against Scranton. And yes, they were missing Bridget Moynihan and others. I saw them at about the same time and they were definitely not the team I expected, but they were still good. Um, you can easily just kind of pack it in and, and, and head home. Um, and to come back and make it interesting though, I do notice, you know, you had a game against Penn state Harrisburg a few weeks later where, where it didn't go your way score wise, 82, 66, but again, you bounce back and you win another game it seems like this team's always been fighting this season. Yeah, definitely has. And, um, I mean, the Harrisburg game, I mean, that would have been nice to come away, but, I mean, they're tough at home and, and just a well-coached team. Um, but it was our fourth game in a week at the end of it there. So that kind of hit us. And, you know, we're just not as deep as other people. So, you know, it just kind of made it a little tougher playing that fourth game at the end of the week, playing yeah. them. But uh, but still, though, I mean, they didn't quit, and they just gave it all they had, regardless of what the score was in that game. Let's talk about those players who given their all. You're led by Elizabeth Singleton, 20 points per contest. You also have Randy Traxler at 17 and a half, 13 points from Allison uh, Aten. I'm hoping I say correct. I've, I've been known to butcher those. Uh, and Tori <laughs> Lamont also at double figures, 11.6 points per game. You've got one other player, significant points, and it's uh, Michaela McLeod, 8.3 points a game. The challenge is that's it. After that, it's a steep drop-off in terms of offensive production. That said, that's that's a pretty good core of, of scoring. Makes it tough to defend unless you've got to go to the bench, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely a good group. And uh... – you know, they work well together. Um, they pass the ball nicely. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, like what we have on the bench are younger players, you know, freshmen and stuff like that. But they've been coming through the whole season. Uh, like our sixth person would probably be Serene. And she's just a – she is unbelievable on defense. She is just so tough. And then this girl named Kay Rita. She's been coming along, and she's uh, given us some post help. Um, and then just, you know, further down the line even, you know, we got some girls, but they're just all young. And, you know, just to play at this level, you know, they weren't quite ready for a while, but, but they keep getting better and better as we keep practicing. And, uh, and like, they're you know, going to be okay, I believe. With that five, and, and we should also point out Serene Calderon, 6.8 points a game. With that, five, uh, with that group, seven and a, 75 and a half points per game, you're outscoring your opponents by 23-plus points per contest. How much is that defensive, and you guys have a defensive mindset, and how much of it is also a little bit of a, of a statement of schedule-slash-conference because some of that conference just hasn't had a great season? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure some of it you know, has to do with that. There's no doubt. Um, but at the same point, I mean, we work hard on defense – and practice and stuff, some of the drills that we do. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, I'm constantly talking to them about shutting people down, you know. I said, you know, like, you know, my perfect game is to go score two points and then 
have them come down. We get the rebound, throw it back out to them, tell them try it again, and just do that the whole game, you know. But of course, that'll never happen. But uh, <laughs> but I do love defense, um, and the ladies have just worked really hard at it. So, you know, you know, some of it may be you know the scheduling and stuff, but at the same point, I mean, the ladies work really hard on defense, and have really picked it up well. This is a this is a group that back in the 2019-2020 season we kind of saw maybe this coming 18 and eight campaign that year, that was a turnaround from an 0 and 24 year the year before as one who's experienced an 0 for a season in my soccer career. Those are tough to recover from. You recovered 18 and eight. And then this year you're 22 and four, you're on to your first NCAA tournament. Clearly that those 0 for seasons and those and barely win seasons are a distant memory for this program right now. Yeah, right now. And Lord willing, we'll never go back, but you know, who knows? But, you know, you know, I don't plan on going back. But, sure. um, but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been fun these last few years. And last year with COVID, you know, we were 4-0, so I count that as my undefeated season. So, you know. <laughs> I don't blame you. I would, too. Absolutely put that on my resume. Um, how, how important is this first ever – trip to the NCAA tournament, not only for the program, but for the larger department, for the institution, et cetera, to try and, you know, for lack of a better description, kind of carry the flag for, for Clark Summit here. Well, that's what I've definitely been telling people, you know, it's huge for our ladies, but to me, it's huge for the school. And I'm happy for the school, you know, you know that we get to participate because, um, I mean, we're just a small school. I right. mean, you know, and uh, and just to have this opportunity to represent, you know, our conference and stuff is just, you know, it's big, like I say, big for the program. But to me, it's really big for the school as well. Obviously, you don't know who you'll face off against uh, in the first round, where you might be headed to. I wouldn't say you're necessarily fodder for a top dog at 20 and four. You guys have certainly shown that you're you're a good program this year. Is it one of those? We'll take all comers and being a first year, they all got to figure us out more than anything. Or is it just gravy at this point and you're enjoying the ride? Definitely gravy, you know, because, <laughs> but at the same point, I mean, we're going to try to win it. I mean, right. we are not going to back down and, you know, we're just going to give it our best shot, whoever they put us up against. Um, I mean, more than likely, we figure we're going to be out height. You know, because a lot of these bigger schools, you know, they just got more height than we got. I mean, but uh, but we'll still work hard and play hard and just give it our best shot and see what happens. Well, I, I'm really impressed. Uh, there, I've had you guys kind of penciled in as being a guest for a while. And for particular reasons, I couldn't get you guys on. But I meant a note. I said, if they win the conference, I've got no excuse. Got to get them on. I want to know about this Clark Summit team. Listen, wins over Brennan, Wilson, and Keystone to finish. Maybe it's good you didn't see Notre Dame, the school that I'm nearby, because I was even impressed how the season they had. The top of the CSAC felt a little different this year. Before I let you go, give me a little bit of the sense of that battle, because Notre Dame hasn't, kind of like you, been in the conversation all that much in the conference, but they had a good year. Keystone had a good year. Even Wilson was kind of in the fray. Yeah, I mean, they were all – tough opponents I mean even though some games may look easier than others I mean it still wasn't a true picture uh I mean Wilson I mean they just kept improving throughout the year and 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 they had a really good year um you know they just got hit with some injuries that just hurt them 
Uh, Keystone is just Keystone. They're just always tough. They know the game really well. And, um, and they're just a good squad to play against, you know, compete against, because, you know, it's just going to be a battle. Uh, Notre Dame is just a tough matchup for us. They, they just got so much size, and then they're so athletic, uh, you know, all around. It just, it just makes it tough for us, um, and they were just a battle for us. I mean, we beat them once. They beat us once. Yeah. You know? And we thought it was possible there was going to be a rubber match. You know, we didn't know. Right. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, all three of those opponents, they were definitely good competition for us this year, and hopefully – they helped us to get ready for this next step. <laughs> yeah, Keystone knocked off Notre Dame uh, there in the uh, on Wednesday in the semifinals uh, to keep that from happening. But uh, you're right; I was kind of looking for the rubber match too. I basically said, "Whoever wins this, I'm calling them up." Um, but, uh, <laughs> congratulations to you guys! I get to talk to you. Uh, hey, listen, really appreciate the time. Congratulations! Absolutely great accomplishment for the program. Uh, look forward to seeing where you end up on Monday, see where who you're playing and, and maybe talking the X's and O's with some people about whether that'll how far you guys can get, because it's the unknown teams that I'm always intrigued by when it comes this time of year. As always, we have a tradition on the show. We always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Um, my final word would just be I'm just I'm so happy for these young ladies to be able to have a chance to do something like this. And uh I love them to death. I love coaching them. And it's just been a great ride. And we'll just see how much farther it goes. Well said. Congratulations again. We'll look forward to talking to you down the road and, and enjoy the ride. Even if it's a short one, you're there. You get to say you're there. You got trophy yeah. and, and a net to, to cherish forever. And we appreciate your time. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate your uh, interviewing us. Absolutely. He is Rick Harrison, head coach of Clark Summit's women's team, who's on to the NCAA tournament for the first time here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Thank you, Rick Harrison, to, for joining us on Hoopsville. Uh, great to great for the Clark Summit program. Hats off to them on that win. Uh, nothing but the best there, and, and we wish them all the luck. We'll find out where they are going to be headed. Hey, 20-4, and four, I don't think they necessarily become fodder for a top team, but maybe they do. Um, we'll see where they head. Um, there's lots of choices where they're located. They could go to a lot of places. Um, so that's, that's flexibility for the committee. Uh, still ahead later on the show, we'll talk to New Jersey city women's basketball coach, Pat Devaney on their somewhat unlikely, but back to back and Jack championship. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get back to the committee work. We've got a couple more picks out of the way. Got a couple more to come. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3hoops.com. Of course, want to thank all of our partners for their assistance in this show uh, and what they do and for what they help us with. And we want to thank Sensible Sports Marketing. Sensible Sports Marketing works with programs from every level of college athletics, specializing in big-time solutions for the small budget, small school budget, from designing posters and schedule cards to large format wall graphics and more. They've got you covered. Visit GetSportsSense.com or call 800-575-4765. That's 800-575-4765. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us, to, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. 
Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% will go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. We continue along. I want to again thank our guests for coming on. We appreciate you for tuning in. We have already gleaned some information out of the women's and men's sides on rankings that have adjusted some things. Not, I don't think changed our picks, but I'll bring the crew back in before we put the panel back up of what we have for choices as we have Scott, Gordon, and Matt joining me. Uh, gentlemen, we got some information out of Region 6, at least how we it initially was this morning. Not sure how much may have changed there, but it doesn't change our pick. So I'm not worried about diving into that. But as as I understand it, right, we haven't we're not worried that that changes any of our selections. Correct. Not worried. Right. Okay. So it will change we'll, the order that some teams get to the table, but we still have Washington and Lee on, and that would be the highest team on the table. So let's go to what we picked while we were in that interview with Rick Harrison. We picked two more teams out. And at our Elizabethtown and Catholic. So our top fifth, our, our selections down, I'll read them off for those who may be just tuning in. Amherst DePaul, then Tufts Whitewater. Trine was our fifth pick, followed by John Carroll. Milliken, then Mary Harden Baylor. Johns Hopkins and Springfield, Marietta and East Texas Baptist. We've added Elizabethtown and Catholic to that. So we've gotten through 14 picks. We have six more to go. On the table now, which is in the lower corner if you're looking at the screen, Trinity, Connecticut, and Babson. Cortland and Stevens, Salisbury and Washington and Lee, Ohio Wesleyan, Carroll, Wartburg, and Redlands. So Redlands at the table. I'm actually talking to some people. On the West Coast right now, the highest winning percentage actually belongs to Redlands at an 826. Unfortunately, they also hold the lowest SOS at a 502 and the lowest result versus regionally ranked in terms of raw numbers at 2-1. and one. So they're in a little bit of a tough spot. Um, the best SOS on the table right now is Babson still at a 604 and Carroll still has that again, raw number on the results versus region. That's not how that number is used, but we still have that 
uh, as well for them uh, at six and five. Um, all right, gentlemen, um, I know you were discussing who we think might go here, and, and this is where it really starts to get really difficult, and we have to start looking at even broader numbers um, and see if anything else kind of comes to the table. Again, Trinity's kind of blocking out Babson, just for the record, uh, because they've got wins over teams that Babson has losses against, and that's a primary criteria factor. Um, and their SOS numbers are pretty close. Their results versus regionally ranked, again, that we're talking about comparable opponents there. Um, any thoughts, anybody go ahead, just take the floor. I think at 13 and 14, we took two teams from region five, which I think is a very, very strong region regions five and seven look incredibly strong, happy to put Elizabethtown and Catholic in. And then at this point on the board, I think we're discussing between probably five teams, Wartburg, Redlands, Salisbury, Cortland, and Babson, maybe Trinity is a sixth. And just looking across all of them, the resumes definitely are different, but um, looking at the wins versus region-ranked opponents, none of them have a really strong slate of wins versus region-ranked opponents. And so it's definitely tough to differentiate between these teams. I think we might be leading one one direction, though. (laughs) Anybody else want to add to it? No, I mean, I think in terms of where we're leaning, I think we're leaning to... Hopefully I have this right, but I think we're leading to Wartburg. Um, the the thing that the intellectual roadblock that you have to kind of get past, or maybe it's not intellectual, is Redlands beat Wartburg. Um, and so then it's the only matchup on, it's the only two teams on our board here who've played each other. Um, and so how heavily do you weigh that? And I, I, I think it's a tough I question. I, I think, yeah, I, I think the way the way we think the committee will weigh it is five sixty is still five sixty and four and four is still a lot better than five oh two and two and one, and that Wartburg would be the next pick. Yep, and that the head to head would close that gap, but not right. enough to take Redlands over Wartburg at this juncture, which is kind of unfortunate for Redlands because then they lose that positive primary criteria going forward, right? Yeah, right. they're going to lose that. The one team they beat head-to-head isn't on the table anymore, right? And then yeah, 502 right. strength of schedule is not going to be impressive for Redlands um, for the next few selections, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I think Wartburg is probably the logical choice there. That brings Oshkosh on the board in Region 9. Boy, does that make the an table. interesting conversation. So they come in right away with an impressive 602 strength of schedule, um, which is right in line with Babson, who was highest on the board. But Oshkosh comes in with a better winning percentage. Um, so now we're looking at the regionally ranked opponents from between Oshkosh and Babson, in, in, in my mind. Well, right. we, can't get Bob, has- we can't get Babson out from behind Trinity, though. Because Trinity's got head-to-head wins over Babson, so I think that becomes a real no, not over Babson, over teams Babson yeah, lost to. I, I meant to say Trinity has the edge on Babson because they have wins over other opponents. Thank you, Gordon. Yeah. I totally botched that coming out of my head. Um, I would disagree with that. I think it, it's a positive for Trinity, but I don't think it overwhelms the fact that they're behind in all three criteria, all three other criteria. Fair. They're behind in what? Right, it's very close in winning. Well, the SOS I think is marginal. 
winning percentage is marginal too. So just, it's like, what is the relative weighting you're going to put over the two and O versus yeah. common opponents versus the rest. And I think right. the so gap is large enough that well, it wouldn't three override it. Common, isn't it? Two. Well, two. Williams okay. and yeah. Tufts. But it's still, it's a, it's a, it's a primary criteria. So you've got a win loss percentage that in my opinion is a, is a wash. I don't think you can make heads or tails of 0. 0.04. You've got an SOS difference of 0. 0.009. And I don't think you can do anything with that either. So you, now you're going to other criteria head to head. They didn't play. Correct. So right, you have, right. they were supposed to, the game was canceled. Right. Right. So you have common opponent. And that's in favor of Trinity. And then, I mean, we can look at results versus reaching ranked. I bet the, the those common opponents are going to rear their heads there too. I don't know. I just don't know if Babson can get out from behind Trinity in that conversation. 11 games played versus seven regionally ranked, I think is a big deal. And I mean, they have two thirds more wins, right? <laughs> See. 67 percent yeah, more wins but i don't i don't i try not to look at it as a hard hard and fast number i'm trying to jump no wait what did babson babson played wpi did babson beat wpi at least once um good question babson yes they did, did beat they, wpi they beat okay. wpi once because wp wpi beat trinity so okay, that would so that would shrink that gap from yep Two and zero to two and one, and there I think now I think it's close enough where I would take, even as a Trinity alum, I would take Babson. <laughs> five and six is significant. They're like, like Scott said, they're ahead of everybody. I don't think they're next anyway. But that you know, the other thing that's worth noting here is there are, most conferences are all everybody's in the same region. Of course, the UAA is not because UAA spreads its teams across the country. And the coast-to-coast is not. And why that's important is Salisbury got beaten pretty soundly by UC Santa Cruz on Friday. That game was not close. Yeah. But Salisbury is at the table for an at-large bid, and Santa Cruz is not because Santa Cruz is grouped in Region 10, which is really tough to come out of, and Salisbury is in, frankly, the weakest region. Uh, or, you know, whether it's Well, now we've gotten to the weakest part of it. Yeah. So, so the fact that the committee, rather than instead of concentrating those teams all in, which they've done in the past, even though I know Finlandia and Christopher Newport are nowhere near each other or whatever, Pine Manor and, you know, they've had that in the past. Here they've spread them out, um, and that's helped Salisbury. We're also assuming, well, no, because York and Marymount lost. Yeah, Salisbury's not, yeah, Salisbury would be sitting there. And, and we may be at the point where in Region 5 we're, we're done with that conversation, but you're right. And Santa Cruz isn't benefiting from it. Um, All of that said, I think the pick here is Oshkosh. Because <laughs> they have a 602 Oshkosh. win percentage. They're better than Babson. I know five and six and three and four. But if I look at who the three and four are. It's, it's Eau Claire, White- it's Whitewater, and it's St. Norbert. Exactly. And and two of those are, are very good. Two of those are very good. And Babson's best win is still whatever it was the last time we mentioned him, Springfield. Yeah. So I think this is where we hope we would want Oshkosh to be the pick here. Right. But I think you definitely have to dig into what those RRO games are and say, hey, Oshkosh beat Eau Claire and Whitewater, and we're bumping them up because of that to yeah. get Oshkosh above teams like right. Salisbury, Redlands, or Babson. Yeah. And Oshkosh's losses would be – uh Whitewater, twice. 
Uh, we'll have to look at Stout, right? It was Eau Claire once. It was Bethany oh. Lutheran. So the Stout and River Falls oh, are Bethany the Lutheran non, was the other one. Non-regional. No, yeah, that's right. Very yeah. early in the year. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would. So we taking UW Oshkosh? I think so. I would. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm in agreement. So and that, that brings Bethany Lutheran on. We're up to pick 17. I say we do one more, and I've got another interview we can run we, as we get really into the weeds here. Yep. Um, uh, by the way, side note, I uh, got an email from a friend at Warburg. He says uh, he's talking about the Texas problem on the women's side. How about Whittier drives to Santa Cruz to play Mary Harden Baylor while the Banana Slugs host Harden Simmons. Meanwhile, Whitman flies the ETBU, plays Trinity, while Webster drives 560 miles to play ETBU, three flights. <laughs> I love it, but I don't know Santa Cruz is getting in the tournament. <laughs> I love the creativity, Ed. I really do. But your biggest problem there, well, first off, I think Mary Harden Baylor's, yeah, if the men are, you're right. I see that. But no, uh, Santa Cruz has got to be in the tournament. And right now we don't have him in the tournament. And I think there's a tiny chance that they jump Redlands in the regional rankings, which would bring Santa Cruz to the table for these last couple of rounds. But I don't think it happens. I think Redlands stays where they are. Yeah, I think, I mean, Santa Cruz playing Christopher Newport, great, but it didn't exactly. Well, they beat Salisbury. They beat Salisbury this week and Redlands beat. That helps. Whoever they, I don't know if you, I don't remember if this guy had a first round game. I think Caltech or Occidental or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still with all of you. I don't think. Necessarily, yeah. and I love the banana slugs. As anybody knows, it's my favorite um, mascot in the world. Um, but I think they even know that they needed to win that tournament to probably get in. You know, and and he he's working on scheduling, but that that kind of is what was there. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of killed him, for lack of a better description. All right, so we take Oshkosh. That puts, I should point out, um, Bethany Lutheran on the table. So we got Trinity and Babson, Cortland Stevens, Salisbury, WNL, Ohio Wesleyan, Carroll, Bethany Lutheran, and Redlands. A winning percentage still goes in Redlands' favor. That SOS is just killing them. Um, Bethany Lutheran brings in a 704 winning percentage, which is dangerously low. 530 SOS, which is, more, you know, about average, a little below average, four and four versus regionally ranked opponents. And again, this is where we're deep in the uh, the mud now, trying to figure this out. And extra data is where we need to dive. Um, honestly, Cortland kind of stands out to me here, though the results versus regionally ranked is kind of hurting a little bit. Uh, I think Trinity is starting to become a little stronger here as well. This is just off the top of my head. Um, Trinity and Babson both really stand out on the strength of schedule. Uh, and then Babson also has some regionally ranked opponents. Um, I know we were talking about the common opponents between those two, um, but my my gut tells me that maybe we should look at Babson as the next pick. We want to dive in there. I just I'm having issues getting them around Trinity. I mean, we think it's I, only a two to one advantage. Well, I've got them. I got a I got a wash in two categories. I've got them losing a th- a third. But I got. We'd have to dive into the results versus regionally ranked more. Give me a second. I will do that. I need to look something up in the meantime. So Trinity's three wins should be Tufts, Bates, and Rhode Island College. Yeah. 
uh, and their four losses would be Amherst, Bates, WPI, and Smith. So Babson's wins are Rhode Island College, uh, Framingham State, Springfield, WPI, and then Springfield again. So the best win out of that group is Tufts, right? Oh, Trinity over, yeah. And I have loved Smith all season. I think they've been underranked in the D3 Hoops Bowl. Um, They looked great when I watched them. I know that's not a criteria, but. But they beat both teams. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Babson's losses are Roger Williams, Tufts, Springfield, Amherst, Smith. And then Smith, Smith again. again. Yeah. From what I've seen in the regional rankings, I would I would expect a team with a higher winning percentage like Redlands and Cortland to be the pick here, even if we think that the strength of schedule and regional ranked um, slate pushes up teams like Trinity or Babson or Salisbury. I mean, if we're looking at Cortland and Redlands, to me, that's an easy Cortland pick with the 557 strength of schedule. Yep. And they beat Ithaca. So it's, do we want winning percentage of Portland or do we want a strength of schedule like Trinity or Babson? Well, the other thing here, obviously not an official criteria, (laughs) but do we think any region really gets shut out? Oh, I see what you're saying. If if the answer is probably not, then Cortland is the pick because that region doesn't have one yet. Yeah, it's, it's something we've we've noticed. Cortland, I mean, you've got Region Three hasn't had a pick. Region Four hasn't had one. I don't like know that they're going to get one because Stevens. Well, maybe I don't. Know. I guess we get get to that at some point. I don't know. They're not horrible at Stevens. Five, six, seven. Has Region Seven's had a uh, yep. seven had a pick? Yep. Yes, a bunch. Yeah, because that's the one with DePaul and right. Tryon and John Carroll. Um, I mean, I would hope I would hope that the committee doesn't care. We already have automatic yeah. qualifiers, and the number of teams that are regionally ranked are based on the number of teams in the region it's, and not anything else. It's not that they don't care. It's something that we've noticed as it has happened, is it seems that the longer a team sits at the table, at least for the women's committee, the more they just seem to notice it. Now, the men have shut out regions. We've seen it happen numerous times. Yeah, the Atlantic region a bunch of times. Oh, absolutely. Even the East region for uh, on occasion has right. been has been locked. The two smallest and weakest. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the two smallest and weakest. Right. But the women for some reason and and they don't say they do it. I don't think it's a, a conscious decision. I think it just well, happens. They, the the committee, the last committee did cuz she she said that um uh, they took I think it was Roger Williams uh and said that they had been at they had been at the table a long oh, time. Right. That was that was her. That was the reason. It was close. We, we had Roger Williams like right on the border, but yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're right. They did. I mean, then again, not criteria. It's just saying the point that they've been there for a while. We've been discussing them for a while. Yeah. We got to know their data. I, but I think, I think Cortland's the better pick here anyway. 
Right. I think both things can be true. Like you shouldn't yeah. be using those criteria just because you feel bad or have seen a team right, for a while, right. because right. you're not doing a nice thing for that team or that region. You're it's a disservice to the more yeah. deserving resume that you don't oh, agree. Pick. But I think in this case, I think Cortland's resume is as deserving as any of the other teams that we're talking yeah. about. And it's just, yeah. there's not a lot between them right now. Yeah. I mean, they have, if, if we set Redlands aside, they have a significant winning percentage advantage over everybody. Yes. And the strength and, of schedule advantage is advantage over most. Yeah. The only ones two that's wins not are, are pretty solid, right? Yeah. And SUNY New Paltz. Okay. And their losses also lost to twice. They lost twice to New Paltz and once to Hartwick. Is Hartwick regionally ranked? They are. Okay. That's the third one then. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you, Gordon. I'm I'm kind of leaning on Cortland there. I I I think I would go Cortland here. Well, if there's unless there's anybody who says otherwise, let's put Cortland down. All right, I just typed them in. There we go. So we technically Hold have that. three picks left. We'll take a break. We'll probably bang out one, hopefully two. Before we come back, we're going to hear from uh, NJCU women's basketball coach um, Pat Devaney about their team's second NCAA, or second conference championship in a row, but first ever NCAA tournament appearance. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC studios. More after this. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. More schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I used to never really talk, ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we continue along on this Selection Sunday special. If you got questions for us, you're welcome to tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville, email us hoopsville at d3sports.com. Lots of other ways to get into things here. Um, I know there's a, a little bit of a chit-chat on the, on the stats or on the Twitters about a lot of things going on. 
and elsewhere. We'll try and answer your questions. Just a reminder, we've now picked Wartburg, Oshkosh, and Cortland off the table on the women's side. We've got eight picks, 18, 19, and 20, the final three picks to come. But we got another interview to go to. Um, another team that's making its um, uh, first trip, first visit to the NCAA tournament as even though they won the conference now two years in a row for NJCU, New Jersey City. Um, they won the conference this year as the sixth seed. They beat the eighth seed, TCNJ. They were playing at NJCU after everybody else knocked off everybody else. NJCU actually knocked off Montclair State to kind of start that um, steamroll in the in the NJAC. So we, earlier today, we got a chance to talk to Pat Devaney about it and w- how everything turned out from his perspective. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, the head coach of the New Jersey right, City guys, women's basketball team. It is Pat Devaney. Months. Coach, first and foremost, thanks for taking the time. Secondly, congratulations on the title, even if it was a little bit more on the unexpected style. Uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Finished the season 13 and 9, 8 and 5 in conference play. You ended up being the sixth seed in the tournament, um, or right? Fourth seed? Yeah, six seed, six seed. Six seed, right. It was a little funky, um, as many years have been, many tournaments have been. Uh, and then the NJAC did what it, it kind of no, doesn't do. Usually the top seeds kind of prevail, especially at home, and we get the usual, usual at, near the end. Uh, it wasn't that way. Montclair lost early and others lost early. And suddenly you guys uh, work your way into the championship game after wins against Montclair State, aforementioned beating them on the road, beating Rowan on the road. So that you got to host the championship game as a sixth seed. Wild and wacky probably doesn't really describe that well enough. Yeah, I mean, it, truthfully to me, it feels like it's like a, like a movie. I, I, I'm shocked that we were able to have a home game being a six seed. So I feel like this was God just writing his own story for us. And it's just been an amazing journey and ride. And we're lucky and blessed to, to leave with a championship. Amazing. Well, to some degree, not only did you guys have to commit all those uh, uh, upsets to, to, to get in that position, you needed the other side to commit upsets. And while the first couple of games went kind of status quo, um, it was TCNJ's upset of Kane that kind of started the ball rolling on that side. And then both of you defeated Rowan and William Patterson to set up the game at your place. So th- there had to be another partner in all this. And of course it ended up being TCNJ. And again, just as kind of wacky, a six seed hosting the conference tournament game after five top teams got knocked out, including a couple by you and a couple by TCNJ. And then that game came down the end. You guys 58, 52 win in the championship game. That was not, certainly a game that that was uh easy either it was a heck of a run yeah i mean tcnj they they could shoot that ball i mean they i think in the first half they had 32 points 27 of those were from the three i think they shot 85 percent or 80 percent from the three in the first half and that's how they got to the championship they shot the ball very well to beat william patterson and to beat a tcnj team that's on fire like that is just a testament to the kids that we have the character that they have in the, in the grit that they portrayed. Well, and also, too, their defense is tough. They held you guys to 58 points. You had scored uh, 68. Then I am uh, listening. I'm just player. trying to get a couple of bits of business done. against Rowan. Now, TCNJ had an 85-point night, but they held Rutgers Newark to 54 in the tournament. So you had to kind of deal with their defense, which was looks like it was pretty stout and tough as well. 
Yeah, they 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 played well defensively. They gave uh, Damaris a hard time. They threw different looks at her. And they did what they needed to do to try to win a game. I thought they brought their A game. And it was just, it was a battle all night. I think we averaged 71 points a game. We lead the conference in scoring. So they did a great job in, in stopping our our guards. Our big stepped up. Jamara Johnson, Laney Fox played very well. Leah Allen played well. So we were, we were able to have other girls step up. And then that's what really makes a team. You have several players in double figures. You're led by Damaris Rodriguez, as you point out. 21 Sorry, guys. Game. I'm back in. in that What's game up? Against TCNJ, she got held to 11. I went with Babson. On three of 20 over Trinity. shooting, over six from deep. Was that because maybe she just had an off night? Was it because TCNJ was just that stellar, or was it a combination of both? Truthfully, I think uh, Damaris was forcing the issue a little bit during the game. Even but though the win-loss and SOS were basically wash. Defensively, they were all over the floor. 50-50 balls they were getting. Okay. You could tell they really wanted to win that game. Okay. We just, we I just want to be on the same page and understand where you're coming from. Center, a six-foot-two power forward, and Leah Allen and Jamara oh, Johnson. I forgot to they pay really attention to Slack. Big, so we knew that if the guards were having off nights, that we had opportunities to go down low. And that worked out perfectly for us, as you see Jamara Johnson's stat line. No, absolutely. Uh, by the way, one for 13 from deep for a team that shoots 33% can have you tear your hair out. But as you said, not you have the inside presence. Um, and you had, a yeah, Johnson had 12 points. Um, you also got contributions from other players like Fox, as you mentioned, 16 points. Uh, Lily Allen coming off the bench with seven points certainly was key. Uh, in that forward position and you took advantage of what you could get, but how much was it also trying to talk the team through it a little bit because things weren't going the way you wanted to in some areas? Yeah, true. <laughs> that's a great, that's great that you brought that up. I, that's what I felt like I had to do all game. I had to get them out of their own heads because every time they missed a shot, they would look over at me in frustration and basketball is a game of misses and makes. So I told him, you know, just keep, just, just stay the course and just keep playing the game. You know, shots are not falling, then get to the rim. Try to get, try to get some layups, try to get to the free throw line, see the ball going from the free throw line. And we wind up doing that towards the end of the game. We wind up getting them in a foul trouble. We win the bonus, I think, with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. So that was, that was definitely positive to be in that situation right there. How much was playing at home, um, a part of that because it was the first ever home uh, title. Uh, from what I heard, uh, the place was a little bonkers as well. How much did that play a, a contributing factor and, and how much do you think it helped your team in the end? Oh, that, that was the biggest factor, by far the biggest factor. The, I think on the sheet it said there was 130-something people there. It had to be at least 500 people there. It was packed. And the, I couldn't even hear – I couldn't. the girls couldn't hear me. I couldn't really hear them when they were talking to me. That's how loud it was. And, and truthfully, that was the difference of the game. Back-to-back -back conference championships. Uh, last year, having a conference championship in the COVID year, so you didn't get the NCAA tournament. This is now a punch to the NCAA tournament, and that's the first ever in program history. Pat, you were brought in after, let's say, that, to be honest, the program was in a bit of shambles. A 1-23 in season in 2016, a 4-21 in 2017. Oh, and 21 and 2018, five and 20 in, in 2019. We know about the fight. We know about the, the tough uh, roads that this women's program had kind of dug themselves into. You were brought in. You knew what you had to do. You at least had to turn the boat around. Whether, whether it was conference championships is another conversation, but you at least had to get this program heading in a better direction. 
you've made a quick impact again, back-to-back conference championships and first ever again, program history ever NCAA tournament. Was that any of this on your radar when you took over a few years back? Yeah, I was an assistant coach from 2012 to 2015. And before that, I was at St. Patrick's High School with Chris Vanes coaching the boys. Me being alumni from NJCU and coaching the girls team, I knew that if we got the talent in Hudson County to stay home, if we got the talent in Essex County to come to us and stay here, that we could really be one of the best. And when I was an assistant, we were getting those kind of players. And, and then I put in for the job in 2015 after Amy Mulligan uh, resigned. I didn't, I wasn't lucky enough to get the job at that time. And then God willing, I wound up getting in in 2018 when Sean Tucker got the AD job. And I feel like this was all God's plan and God's work. And I just try to pay it forward and, and just do the right thing by God. Uh, five wins your first season, obviously taking over a program that was in shambles, then 13 immediately in that second season. Nine last year in the COVID year, hard to gauge what that really means, but then 13 again this season, but more importantly, just nine losses and that conference title and that NCAA tournament berth. It's it's certainly been a, a tremendous turnaround, maybe even stealing some of the attention and spotlight from the men's program that certainly got a lot of it over the years. Uh, at this point, it's house money, I'm assuming, but you're heading to the NCAA tournament. You don't know where yet. You don't know uh, who you'll face, but just the fact you're there has got to be significant for this program that no matter how this ends, you're still on cloud nine. Dave, truthfully, I want to win it. I mean, we played sure. toughs. We played toughs. We played the best of the best. We played Amherst. We lost uh, by four to toughs. I didn't coach that game. We lost the four. We lost the by four to Amherst at, at Amherst. And truthfully, I think we have a great team. I think we have a great shot at this. If these girls keep gelling, the first half of the season, we didn't even have 10 players. We weren't able to scrimmage. We didn't have 10 until January until we brought two kids in. So now is the right opportunity to start gelling and play well. And I think that we could really make waves in this in this tournament. Well, and this team has gone through the COVID rigors. You pointed out you weren't there for the Tufts game. Uh, you guys lost a couple of games um, early in January, including in conference play uh, due to COVID reasons. Uh, you also had that come back to yourself in the game against Rutgers and Camden. But how tough has that road been earlier in January? Because to be honest, you, who knows how that was going to impact you? Technically, it made you the sixth seed. You didn't know what you know how the season was going to play out from there. How hard is it to to get through that and now to be on the other end? It was hard. It was hard because one of my players really um she took a hard on herself. She thought that she was the reason why we had a forfeit to four games. It was a false positive. She she had one positive, then went to a doctor. Wound up getting two negatives. Girl wasn't sick, but we had to abide by the the positive, you know and she took it bad and just told him, you know, just stay positive. Good things will happen if you stay positive. And that's what they did. They just stayed positive. They they fought, you know, all season. They never gave in. They understood, you know, the goals ahead that they could attain. And it's just been a, it's been a blessing. These kids, these kids are great kids and they're they're a family. Uh, tell me a little bit about the team. We talked about a few of the players, obviously, in Rodriguez, Davis, Box, et cetera. But just tell me. You talk about family. Tell me how this team gels. Tell me how this team comes together and how they play on the floor normally. Yeah, these kids, they go out to eat together. You know, usually some teams, they they go their own way after practice. These kids hang out together. They go over each other's houses. We have a basketball house, so the girls go over there and they hang out with each other. These kids, you know, they're they're in early, working out early. 
they were coming in six o'clock in the morning, working out with Kenny Britt, who's our strength and conditioning coach, former NFL player. Yeah. So the, 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 these kids really, uh, they're putting in the work. And one thing about them, they love each other. They fight for each other and they like each other off the court. And that, that really is what's making us gel at the right time, just liking each other, being around each other. How important, too, is it to get a win over a Montclair State in, in, in the tournament and, and beat these teams that have been at the top of the conference for so long? Yeah, I mean, a Karen Harvey coach team, a Demetrius Poles coach team, Rowan's always good. Montclair is always good. So to even beat those teams, it, it really helped us get this championship because it made them really start believing in themselves. You know, you could tell the kids, hey, this is what you could do. This is what you could do. But when it's actually done and they actually see it and they go through it, then that's when the believing really kicks in. And then you feel it. And then the energy just starts going through the roof and you start feeling their energy. And it's 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 great. It's great at NJCU right now. The energy is through the roof. And I think these girls finally believe in themselves and they finally believe in what they could really do with a bigger picture. Well, congratulations again on not only the the NJAC title, because you did that last year, but getting to the NCAA tournament. I know that was a a step that everybody wanted to see happen, and and considering where everything had been, it's a pretty impressive one, to say the least, including wins, as we mentioned, over Montclair and others. Uh, We always give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? No, I just want to let everybody know Division Three Hoops is basketball. It's good basketball. We get a lot of kids that think that D3 is just some garbage basketball. It's great basketball, and it's great basketball all around. So just stay tuned to D3 basketball. No, well said, sir. I completely agree with you. Uh, good luck, especially on the recruiting trails. I'm fascinated to see how this will turn out uh, for the rest of the way. But good luck also in the NCAA tournament. Look forward to seeing where the Gothic Knights will be playing and how you end up doing. And we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate what you do for D3, man. It's amazing. You guys are awesome. Well, thanks, Pat. I really appreciate that. Take care and we'll talk. Thanks to Pat Delaney for joining us on the show. Appreciate it. Uh, Pat Delaney. Oh, my Lord. There is an old school name. Pat Devaney for joining us from NJCU. Again, back-to-back conference championships, but first ever NCAA uh, trip. Um, congratulations to them as a sixth seed in that conference. Uh Pretty impressive. We'll see where they go. Uh, They are a bit of fodder for another team. So they're going to get a tough first round matchup. But as he pointed out, they played some really good teams really tough this year, including Amherst and and others. So they're not going to be an easy out in tournament. We'll be looking forward to seeing what that program can put together. Take another break. When we come back, we will talk to the boys about what we have decided and where we got, how many more picks we got left to do before we switch to the men's side. Still ahead, men's selections you're listening to hoops hope presented by d3hoops.com back with more after this these are your teams your players your community of fans this is where they play where they practice where you cheer at every meet every event every game your community is passionate dedicated supportive you know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win so while you're cheering Keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. 
and we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division Three teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal training and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue along here on the selection special. Uh, if you've got questions for us, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville, email us hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can also join us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're also on Twitter, at D3Hoopsville there. Uh, Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, on YouTube, youtube.com slash uh, D3Hoopsville. Pat Pat's been in there talking about a lot of things. Uh, Pat Pat, a lot of what you're discussing in terms of how to rank or deal with regional rankings, you know, putting a point value in there, it's great. It's just not part of the criteria. And so it's the reason we're not doing it. On this show, I mean, it'd be great to say a win over a number one in region rank is, is is worth ten points. But the other thing too is not every region is created equal. Not every region has the same amount of teams, etc. Um, and so it's just not it's not part of the criteria. And so something we just can't do. I bring the crew back in before we reveal our uh, selections as we go along. Um, I'll also switch. Well, I guess I don't have to. Um, I, I bring this up only because we got the question on Twitter. I think it's a fair fair question on Twitter. Um, you know, we got this debate. We got Redlands sitting in, in Region 10. They were ahead of Santa Cruz last week um, in the last regional rankings. Um, both teams lost in the conference tournament, Redlands in the semis, and um, Santa Cruz in the championship, meaning Santa Cruz went one and one. Are we sure we don't move them up? And I and I'm not arguing we should. I'm just at, let's let's put the resumes on the table. Do we move? Should we be moving them up? And by the way, we'll reveal who our last selection is in a minute or the latest selection in a minute. But do we move them up? Do we not? Are we comfortable where they sit, etc.? And when you look at the numbers, it is an interesting conundrum. Yeah, and looking at them being ranked behind Redlands in those second regional rankings, um, which is, that's what we know, right? Right. It definitely looked like the committee valued the difference in winning percentage between the two higher than the difference in strength of schedule, even though the point differential in each is is close, right? Um, Redlands winning percentage compared to UC Santa Cruz is over 100 points better, but the strength of schedules are also over 100 points different. Now, I think that that points to Santa Cruz being the much more quality team. Um, but it was clear from the rankings that the committee chose Redlands with even fewer regionally ranked wins at that point as well. 
Um, since then, Santa Cruz has definitely added another um, regionally ranked win over, over Salisbury, um, which they beat handily. That is not part of the criteria, but they did. Um, and then also by playing both Salisbury and Christopher Newport, kept bumping that strength of schedule up. And it's far and away the best in Division Three women's. Um, I think it's a really interesting case. I would love to see Santa Cruz jump Redlands in the final regional rankings. My prediction is that they don't and that Redlands stays because Redlands did win a game in their tournament, right? Um, to kind of incrementally bump up their winning percentage. I think so. Yeah, they they had a first round game. So just kind of bump up their winning percentage and their strength of schedule a little bit. And based on what, what we think we know about region six, um, teams that lost didn't really not move down that far. Um, and so it, it doesn't seem like taking a loss is also going to hurt you a ton based on what the second regional rankings were. So no one has any strong argument that we move Redlands down and move the banana slugs in, in hindsight. Yeah, it looks like from, from the last regional rankings that we saw, both of their winning percentages dropped by, I don't know, roughly 30 points. Um, UC Santa Cruz did increase their strength of schedule a bit uh, and Redlands a little bit, although less. Um, I think it's significant that Redlands' strength of schedule in the rankings was 492. It was on the wrong side of 500, and the committee still had them above UC Santa Cruz. I think it's a scenario where they could absolutely flip them, but I don't know that we have any evidence that they will or that they did um, at this point to me. Yeah. But it's a great, it's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. You know, it could absolutely happen. No, that's why I brought it up. I thought it was, I mean, it was an interesting quandary on, or a question on um, Twitter. Um, and so I just thought I'd bring it up. So we'll leave it as it is. And we'll now reveal who our last, or not last two, we have one more pick to go, but the latest two, we finished with 17 at Cortland. And during that chat with Pat Devaney, we have two more. And they are Babson and Salisbury as our next two, 18 and 19, meaning we have one left on to go on the table. And on the board, we have Trinity out of the NESCAC in Region 1, WPI out of the NUMAC in Region 2, St. Lawrence out of Liberty League in Region 3, Stevens out of the MAC Freedom in Region 4, Widener out of the MAC Commonwealth in Region 5, WNL out of the ODAC in Region 6, Ohio Wesleyan out of the uh, NCAC in Region 7, Carroll out of the CCIW in Region 8, Bethany and Lutheran out of the UMAC in Region 9, Redlands out of the SCIAC in Region 10. And by my kind of just quick looking, I don't think, I think all the regions have been covered. We've gotten somebody out of every region. No. Not that that's a criteria point. It's just a note. Um, yeah, we don't have anybody from uh, Stevens region four. Right, region four, correct. So region four, Stevens is the only one. Um, and in past, we've been told the teams tend to get picked by the women's committee. But again, it's been two years since that's happened. So who knows if that holds true? Um, right now, the best winning percentage on the table is Redlands at eight twenty six, but they also have the poorest SOS at five oh two. Um, the best. Um, Winning per or best SOS on the table is a five four. I'm sorry, five ninety three from Trinity, which is sky high, 
And the best results versus regional, just strict raw data, is Carroll at six and five. And I'll be honest, I'm not really sure where to go here. Um, kind of wish we had a little bit more data that we can pull like the NCAA folk can, but there you go. I mean, I think those the three teams leading each of the categories are kind of the ones that we're debating and struggling to decide which are we going to push ahead. But Redlands with the winning percentage, Trinity with the strength of schedule, and Carroll with all of those regionally ranked games are definitely what we've been debating. Yeah, and we looked at some of those regionally ranked wins. Um, Trinity has a win over Tufts. Um, Carroll had a win over Whitewater. Uh, who else did we look at? Redlands' at- best win is Wartburg. Redlands' best win is Wartburg. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I go toward the team with the best strength of schedule at this point, uh, Trinity, which is rather significantly higher than anyone else on the board. Um almost 60 point, uh, 50 points higher than anyone else on the board. They have a good regionally ranked win over Tufts. Um, their winning percentage is not the highest, but it's in line with the rest of the board fairly well. Um, maybe. The only thing I would say is the women don't tend, we've had this happen before where we've kind of leaned towards those those SOS numbers and come back and seen two teams who had better winning law. Win-loss percentages that yep. we didn't pick ended up being the picks for the women's side. So they tend to lean a little bit more towards win-loss percentage. I talked to some former committee members today, kind of su- sushing things out. Something I might do in the future, too, is how they read into things, their conversations based on their experiences. And they seem to indicate that that SOS, as much as they liked it, or at least some individuals like the SOS more than win-loss, that they don't see that happening, that the win-loss, I mean, SOS certainly has a place, but that the win-loss tends to be a little bit of a stronger resume, which is why that conversation about Webster maybe having one loss was fascinating because the SOS was so poor um, and they aren't ranked. And so there is obviously a place where the SOS is playing a role, don't get me wrong, but they tend to lean towards a better win-loss percentage when push came to shove, it would appear. So what I... Inferred from the second regional rankings, which could be 100% wrong. Um, but if you look at teams with poor strength of schedules that were in the top two to four in their region, you look at Wisconsin Lutheran, Rhodes, Roger Williams, Emmanuel from Massachusetts, and Trinity from Texas. All of them were ranked two, three, or four in their region with strength of schedules underneath 494. Very, very, very weak. But all of them had at least two wins versus regional ranked opponents. And I think once you kind of hit that two mark, the committee was more willing to give teams a pass on their strength of schedule. Um, Webster was 0-0 versus region ranked opponents. And I think that just never brought them onto the really into the conversation because of that. So not so just saying like, hey, they're undefeated, sure, but we don't know anything really about them. Um, and so I would not be shocked if the committee does something similar with either Redlands or St. Lawrence, who have the best winning percentages, and say, hey. They do have two wins, I believe, each versus regionally ranked opponents. Now, we looked at them and weren't terribly impressed and definitely think that Trinity has the stronger resume and probably Carroll as well. But I see the argument there, right? I think the regionally rankings, that second one, points to, hey, maybe we will see Redlands or St. Lawrence off the board in this 20th spot or even earlier. Yeah. Scott, I was thinking the same thing, that if if the thing that holds Redlands back is – just three games against regionally ranked and 502 isn't that great. 
Not that 515 is a lot better, but six regionally ranked games is. So maybe it's St. Lawrence. Right. And like St. Lawrence with, I can't remember who they beat in the semis, but it brought their regionally ranked wins from one Vassar. to two. Yeah, um, I think that was a big, big deal for them. It also brought their strength of schedule above 500. And so the more the weekend went on, the more I thought that St. Lawrence was actually a lock. Um, and it was more in this conversation where we kind of, I think you and Matt are both pushing a little bit harder on the strength of schedule metric. And I didn't see evidence of that in those second regional rankings. I would like the committee to place a lot more weight than I was seeing um, on strength of schedule but I'm really not sure where they go for these last couple picks. Yeah. I mean, obviously the 20th pick is tough for a reason. Um, we could go with non-conference SOS granted the data we have is a little bit dated, so we can't really nail down how much that may have changed the conversation. Is there any, we would eliminate, I don't think Bethany Lutheran, Ohio Wesleyan, Widener, Washington, and Lee. Widener, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's good because I know exactly how you got there. (laughs) I did it myself. So you think Um, Widener? Yep. Sum it up. Sorry, I was going to. Widener, Bethany Lutheran, Ohio Wesleyan. I don't think Washington, Washington and Lee for WPI are really in the conversation either. Yeah, and Widener and Stevens are so close to each other that if you take one. So, I mean, you're really down to the two high winning percentage teams, Redlands and St. Lawrence, and the two high yeah. strength of schedule teams or regionally ranked teams, which is Carroll and Trinity. And it's like apples and oranges. Do we have any uh, oh, secondary, speaking of secondary criteria, do we know what their winning percentages are of any games that we are not considering? Uh, well, Trinity doesn't have any. Okay. St. Lawrence won't have any. Carroll won't have any. Redlands probably played somebody. Let me see. They lost to Masters. I don't know if that tells you anything. So that doesn't boost that number. Um, okay. Oh, I think Trinity might have beat Fisher or something, but I don't know if that don't matter. Yeah, it just it changes their numbers a little bit since it's secondary criteria. Yes, they did. They beat Fisher. There you go. <laughs> the Trinity Fisher rivalry. <laughs> Watch out for it, sir. Um, all right. So why don't we? It's a little cumbersome, but let's just dive into the results versus. You know, how good are those wins specifically for Trinity, St. Lawrence, Carroll, and Redlands? Redlands only has two. Yeah, I mean, St. Lawrence beat Vassar. um, Vassar twice. Yeah. Which is the bulk of it. And that's a a bottom team in the the regional rankings. Thus thus ends the story. Uh, Redlands is Pacific and Wardburg. That's their two wins. Uh, Carroll is Whitewater. Illinois Wesleyan. North Park twice. North Park twice. Wheaton. Wheaton. And then a sixth, which is Norbert, because I think Norbert gets into the final regional rankings. Okay. And but they're all near the bottom. Well, Carol, uh, Whitewater's not. Right. Whitewater's good, saying, and Illinois Wesleyan's fine. 
Right. But the vast majority of those six are near the bottom. Yeah. But I mean, if we were creating a new metric, which is wins not near the bottom, <laughs> I think I think they have two. St. Lawrence has zero. Redlands has maybe one with Warburg. Warburg, yeah. Right? And yeah. I mean, you're you're punting Lawrence from the board if you're wanting to, you know. Yeah. And then Trinity has a tough swim and then a couple others. And Bates and Rhode Island College, which Rhode Island College is low, but Bates should be probably in that middle of the region, kind of a solid. Yeah, maybe fish. even in front, probably in front of Trinity because they beat them this week. Is, is oh, it right, crazy to say to maybe Redlands is the pick because of that win-loss percentage? Well, I mean, that's what we've been talking about for however long this has been now. <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's not, a, it's not an easy pick. <laughs> I mean, because if that's the argument, you could also argue St. Lawrence because they got a better SOS, marginally, but a better SOS. And they yeah. played six games versus three. Yeah. Right. I mean, then as soon as I argue Redlands, I'm arguing St. Lawrence into this into this one. I, I think if you go the winning percentage route, you take St. Lawrence. And if you go the strength of schedule route, I don't know if you take Carroll or Trinity. I don't know. I think that's a toss-up. I think you take Trinity then. Yeah, I'd feel conflicted out on this one. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is Gordon allowed to be in this conversation? I just realized. Yeah, he's got to excuse himself. Yeah. <laughs> something I don't think I ever have to worry about. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm cold. I'm going to go put something. <laughs> he actually walked away. <laughs> well, and then oh, the thing Lord. that we know, but that the committee, they do know, but they can't consider is that the Trinity went over Tufts was without Tufts' best player. Um, but that's not something that can be considered. Nope. Right. This is not the NCAA committee deciding if they want. Was it Cincinnati as the number one seed undefeated when Kenyon Martin broke his leg? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, D1 gets right. to do all that fun stuff. So I got a whole new perspective on <laughs> Oh, look at you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I got nothing. Um, the, the one I could – I got the jersey hanging up, but that's not going to help. They're not even in this conversation. If so I'm I wagering, would, I think St. Lawrence gets into the field. I think it's St. Lawrence. Yeah, I, I'm kind of leaning that way myself. I think it's I think it's St. Lawrence because they will they have the winning percentage advantage and they don't have the two and one. I, yeah, think, it's, I think it's St. Lawrence. I'm kind of there too. I don't know if it's a right pick. I mean, we're down at the point where we never know if this is right, but that's where I'm leaning. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I would I would feel bad for Trinity because it feels like we've considered them like. Yeah, they've been Second considered like 25 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know we're getting yeah, lobbied that, from behind, but I think they're lobbying because they want the bracket. Um, they're lobbying because everybody wants to be able to say banana slugs as much as possible. Well, so. there's that, and I think they want a West Coast and, bracket too. And, and I mean – I like Santa Cruz I, for this. Everything Scott said, I won't repeat it. I like Santa Cruz. I'd like to see them in the tournament. It's just that the way they've been treated does not lead me to believe that anything would be different. Right. That's the seven only days reason. Later, five days later, not even seven. <laughs> I agree with you. If if they had been ahead of Redlands last week, that's a slam dunk decision. But the yeah. fact that they weren't, and I don't see yes. anything that really changed that equation other than playing 
Salisbury and Christopher Newport again, I don't know if that necessarily changes anything. Exactly. So we'll take St. Lawrence. Because, I mean, I, I think if St. Lawrence, not St. Lawrence, if um, Santa Cruz was able to play, say, Pacific and Puget Sound and go 2-0, and I think their resume kind of jumps off the page at you. Um, and it just shows booking that f- that few D3 games, which they're just so limited by, that, that winning percentage of 692 looks so bad, even though it's against strong teams. <laughs> and, you know, if they had 10 more games that are just fluff, um, I think their strength of schedule doesn't drop far enough and their winning percentage looks totally fine. And then boom, they're fourth in the region. Which is why I don't like overweighting winning percentage. <laughs> Which is someday you, you've got to get you administrative and, and, and onto a, onto a uh, board to see how that all goes. All right. So our final pick is St. Lawrence. And it leaves on the board Trinity, WPI, Rochester, Stevens, Widener, WNL, Ohio Wesleyan, Carroll, Bethany Lutheran, and Redlands, who I know that'll bug everybody. Uh, guys, I really appreciate it. Went a little longer than we expected. We'll try and, and punt here real quick and get on to the next stuff. But uh, quickly, final thoughts. Uh, Matt, you're, you're about to jump on the men, so I'll give you a, 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 your first shot at it. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I was glad to be able to start producing data for the women's game this year. Um, I think that was kind of fun to do and dive in more on that side. Uh, But I just love this time of the year. Glad for every team that's getting in. Um, And these are just fun conversations to have. Yep. Hey, uh, Scott Peterson, your your final thought. My final thought is, while I will not claim to know a better and less time-consuming way to do it, I very much dislike the regionally ranked teams and that hard arbitrary cutoff (laughs) it's just i do think that allowing the final two weeks of rankings to count makes a lot of sense as a lot of these teams are playing each other it would be very weird if a team was ninth and then fell out of the rankings and it severely hurt someone's resume um but it's it, it is very arbitrary and i think it even could create some scenarios where a team would rather lose to a team late in the season than beat them and potentially push them out of the regional rankings and i don't think anybody wants that Gordon? Um, well, if the Trinity Alumni Office wants to strike me from the mailing list, that would be okay. Um, <laughs> now, this is really hard. And we say this every year, but if you're in the last five to six picks, consider this a very long night, right? If, if you're in the top 10, we've never, I don't think we've ever missed somebody in the top 10, right? But it, once, and, and our record for 10 to 15 is pretty good you know, 80% or so, but in these bottom five, it could be Trinity. It could be Redlands. It could be Santa Cruz. You know, it could be any of those teams. Um, you know, looking forward to, to seeing the bracket tomorrow. It's, it's, it's a really tough call. And I also, the last thing is I know the committee has had a lot of years where there's been like three people left in the room because four different coaches had their team on the board for eight picks or 10 picks. Um, I hope that doesn't end up being the case this year. Well, they'll have people replace them temporarily, but when it comes to bracketing, they won't. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard job. Yeah, definitely is. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much, Matt. We'll see you back here in a bit for the men's side. We're going late, but the men will bang out. I'm sure quicker. Maybe because the, the men guys. No, yeah, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Yeah, Bob Coleman and Ryan Scott. That's, that's like a four hour show right there. <laughs> 
That's fair. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the hard work, and we'll talk to you soon. And uh, we'll let them all go and appreciate everybody who did that work. Gordon Mann, um, Scott Peterson, and Matt Snyder. We'll see Matt come back on the men's side here in a little bit. We'll come back, take a break. When we come back, we'll hear from Bill Fenlon, who's retiring as DePaul men's basketball coach. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC studios. Back with more after this. <laughs> 